And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with Dr. Bear Paul Lando coming to you live and correct from the beautiful state of Jefferson on the Smith River here on the border of California and Oregon. Uh, we are so pumped for the fall, even though it's been a little chilly, which should be fitting for today's guest, David Devine from Adapt 2030. This is going to be a great one. Uh, David's returning. It's been about, oh my gosh, two years since we've had David on. He was one of our first big guests on AlphaCast, and he was he was so uh, cordial enough to come on when we were just a little uh, YouTube channel with 800, if, if that, subscribers, and really helped us out a lot back then. And uh, we're just really excited to catch up with David and see what he's been up to. A uh, lot of lots been going on with Alpha Vedic. If you guys are new to Alpha Vedic, check us out at alphavedic.com. I will make this short and sweet today, Bear. Uh, we've been getting some people complaining about our long intros to our free two-hour podcast with no ads. So I'm sorry about that. Um, You're but, kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's that like, kind of makes me want to do 20 minutes of infomercials that we've never done. <laughs> exactly. Have you ever right? complained to the TV stations about too many advertisements before the program and during the programming and the break between the end of the program and the next program starting? I don't it, think so. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's really unbelievable. And believe it or not, those uh, haters... We actually have a community that cares about what we're going to talk about uh, in, in these little short intros, like the fact that we just did an amazing little giveaway from Leela Labs, which does this amazing quantum technology, which I have right here, their, their infinity block behind me, David. Really interesting technology that you might want to look into because I know you're keen on this stuff. It creates a toroidal field, according to their studies, uh, that allows you to charge uh, different metallic objects with quantum energy, and they also have... Uh, brilliant uh, healers that are internationally known that can see frequencies and imbue frequencies in these cards. Um, and then you can take those frequencies and use them to heal and help others. So we have this, um, we had this giveaway with three of our three, four packs of their DNA uh, cell frequency cards, which are having great effect to those who have gotten the jibba jabba doodah. And um, we went ahead and we uh, did a giveaway. So I just want to announce our, to the, our giveaway to our co-op. Uh, congratulations to Brian Alex, Amanda Miller, and Lydia. You guys each are the, the winners of the four-pack. So congratulations to you. Uh, we're really excited to uh, get those to you. So uh, we'll connect on DM on Patreon and get those over to you. Uh, besides that, um, I, that's about all I got. Oh, Cordal 2.0 launched today or yesterday. For those who aren't familiar with Cordal, and David, I'd love to talk to you a little about crypto today because I know you're keen on that. You know, the crypto sphere is very interesting. Uh, it seems like a lot of it's been co-opted into Wall Street 2.0. We're seeing the SEC crack down on that. I'm part of a project called Cordal, which is kind of like a Bitcoin 2.0 in the sense that it was very much from the ground up. Uh, um, uh, made from scratch blockchain project with a bunch of cypherpunks, no corporation behind it, very decentralized, all open source. You can find out more at cordal.org. What's unique about Cordal, besides the egalitarian minting protocol that shares uh, every minute with every minute block reward with everybody minting on the network, which doesn't require any ASIC miner or anything big, hefty machine to do it, it's just based on time and proving yourself over time. 
um, is that the database is very uh, fascinating how it works as a basically a decentralized CPU. And we're very close to launching our data nodes, which will be decentralized web hosting or truly decentralized web hosting. So David was just talking about how he's been censored and being attacked by the centralized forces. Well, we are creating a solution that will allow for a completely censor-proof internet. Very exciting time. So check that out at cordal.org. That's Q-O-R-T-A-L.org. Today, David Devine returns for a grand solar minimum update and how we might prepare for the changes it will bring to a world already on the brink. Grand Solar Minimum expert David Devine from ADAPT 2030 returns to AlphaCast for an update on the effects of the incoming solar cycle. Drastically cooling temperatures are already upon us, and the cyclic solar-induced climate changes have been historically paired with the rise and fall of empires. Its impact will indeed be dramatic, especially in light of the purposeful chaos now being orchestrated on virtually every level of our lives. In our first episode, David shared stunning information on the disruptive effects of a cooling climate on food production, finance, and every aspect of human interaction. Take heart, though, as we'll frame this intensity of this topic with solutions available to most. David is masterful in his presentation of the quote-unquote science behind the Grand Solar Minimum, but always from the larger perspective of thriving versus surviving, and the spiritual opportunities belying all such epochal time, epochal, epochal times. Um, and yes, I believe we are entering a new epoch. We can get into some um, some theories on that. Uh, Bear Lando, how are you on this glorious morning, uh, Thursday morning? Uh, doing wonderful and uh, especially excited about our talk. David, thanks for being with us again. And uh, yeah, as, as Mike said, I want to echo that. Thank you so much. You know, you really helped us. Uh, we hit our beginnings here. We're still kind of newbies, but, uh, you know, just trying to get our, you know, the message out just like you are. So, so thank you for being with us again. I wanted to reconnect with you for actually quite a while. Um, you, as you know, uh, you know, I run a farm here. I farm full time. I've done it for a good number of years now. And it's interesting because when you do that, you have a, 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 a feedback mechanism, you know, with which you're growing in nature around you that tells you exactly what's going on out there. And uh, not only from year to year, but you get to, if you stick with it long enough, get to see more long-term trends. And uh, what I've noticed in uh, about the last decade is, uh, you know, we're getting earlier and earlier falls. Uh, the last three years, we've had these kind of freak early frost. Uh, and it's uh, required me to harvest earlier every year. This year, we started earlier in anticipation of that, but the frost came earlier. So we're going to lose some crops again because of it. So uh, I'm pretty convinced that something's happening out there with the uh, climate. I don't think uh, it's our fault. I think there's larger cycles uh, you know, at play. And of course, that's where your expertise lies. And um, you know, there's that old saying that things... Uh, happen gradually, then all of a sudden, uh, well, I kind of suspect that we're in the all of a sudden stage right now. So what do you think? And, you know, uh, you know, I'd like to get into current events and how they're playing in with, uh, you know, your, your knowledge base and, and what you bring. But um, if we could, uh, you know, maybe have a little bit of a preface as far as how you got into this, you know, we can make it short because I know you've done this a thousand times. And, uh, you know, just uh, maybe a little cliff notes of what 
solar minimum is in the first place. So thanks again and, uh, and take it away. Yeah, thanks for having me back. And I'm so glad that you're expanding, you know, and, and still in the, the information space because the people you interview and all the guests that I see you come on because, you know, I get your emails when you have new interviews. And, you know, when I'm preparing something, I'll click on and listen all the, off the side of my ear there. It's great that you keep going and keep putting out such valuable information in this time of change right now, because this is what we need is so many minds coming at all these problems that are coalescing at the same time here. And we're going to need a myriad of solutions. So I love that you went from, you know, 800 and you're, you're well over 10,000 now, and it's going to continue to grow because you reach that rollover point where then it's 10 and then suddenly it's 25 and then suddenly it's 50. And the, the more the world seems to be turned upside down on his head, the more people are out there looking for solutions. And then, you know, they're, 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 you'd be surprised what, what you consider is just a, a normal go to work, hardworking person that's always bought uh, the mainstream media's explanations for X, Y, Z is suddenly going, wait a second, maybe I need to look over here for some alternative information because what has been fed so long doesn't seem to fit what's happening anymore. And I've noticed that it seems to be a mass awakening of, you know, this epoch you're talking about is a vibrational change. So when you look at it in terms of power structure from top down governance, that was set in place in a different vibrational frequency field, and people were born into that same frequency field. So something that was in the 1940s, 1950s, you were born grandparents in or older parents born into that. They were born into the field so that top down approach worked because they were born into the same frequency. But and now as we're transitioning out, and, you know, we've actually into the age of Aquarius back last year and, you know, the planets were so close together and, you know, the telescope looking at those just a, a couple of degrees from each other transitioned to a faster energy and people are awakening from that. So from a realistic approach, the way they have put this top down pyramidal structure and everybody knows the pyramid, you know, top one zeros 0.0001% down corporations, the military, and then people at the bottom. Okay, that worked for that denser energy field. But as the sun's stepping down, our solar system's changing, and I'll go into all the changes on all the planets that have occurred in the last year and a half. The control structure of the elite over the planet needs to change also because their frequency field is changing. Their awareness is, people are piercing through the veil now. So a new system of control needs to be put in place for the new vibration frequency. And you know, you talked about cryptocurrency, the old fiat money system based on acquisition, war, and control. That doesn't work anymore. So what is it going to be now? Well, it's moving to crypto. And like you say, crypto can be your bondage or it can be your freedom ticket out, both apply with the same technology as with all technologies. So when you look at it, so many things are shifting right now with this great reset and they're even broadcasting it. They're resetting on purpose and they're telling you they're resetting because they have to reset because the old power down structure is not going to hold and everybody's awakening too. So now a whole new way of life being controlled and those with the money and the power broker and the elite are still trying to keep themselves in control, moving into the faster energy field. And we can see it all around us. Things aren't making sense anymore. People are asking a lot more questions, but then there's this whole new grid moving in the separation of people. I think they're terrified of us and our manifestation capabilities, not only you and myself, visually by ourselves creating our own reality and busting through this chrysalis for a better word. But hundreds of people are getting together. Elite are terrified of this because our manifestations ramping up and faster and almost real time now. So one person, yeah, they can do what they're taught or programmed or 
thought to think to manifest for the elite what they want is the outcome, but put a bunch of people together that don't that do question the narrative, don't go along with that anymore. And that becomes a real threat because 10 people, 100 people that have an alternative way to manifest in this frequency field is definitely throwing a, a wrench out there that's that's the reason I really believe that we're being so separated at the moment. Our capabilities to overthrow these reins of power are at our grasp again. It only comes around once every several thousand years. And you see the amount of effort, time, coordination, and all out destruction of everything we've ever known to keep us separated during this most pivotal time of change. Now, it might sound a little outlandish, but when you start to understand the frequency of the sun is changing and the output in the visual spectrum and the amount of cosmic rays bombarding our planet, which also have an effect on species themselves. You see all these things lining up into perfection right now. It is an awakening, but this whole dense, darker energy power wants to grab you and pull you back into the soup as we're trying to rise out each day more vibrationally light as we go around the full circle of the yugas here as the best way I can describe it. I, you know, I'm really getting back into the Indian uh, Vedic texts and so, and the yuga cycles. Cause I do believe we're coming out, out of that Kali yuga into the Dupara yuga and the elites know it. They understand these grand solar minimum cycles. They know there's not going to be enough food. It's going to be a lot of panic and they're going to get overthrown again. So they're trying to stop all this. And then, and then all those other layers of things are happening at the same time. It's, it's such an ma amazing time to be alive. It truly is. It is. And it and I think what you're describing is an overall consciousness shift, and it's a matter of choice. I think people are making right now as far as, you know, which bandwagon they want to jump on. And the way I see things is that the so-called um, controllers are really at a disadvantage because they're playing the same old game by trying to retool their control technologies. And meanwhile, those of us that are going with this shift, it's making available to us. Uh, all different sorts of insights, new technologies, ways to produce things that aren't uh, reliant on old manufacturing uh, methods. Uh, you know, here on the farm, we're constantly um, expanding our awareness of how to grow things. Uh, you know, I grow, we're in the Northwest and I grow things that are tropical that aren't supposed to grow here. So there's a lot of things we're catching up to. And of course, that thing you're talking about as far as things speeding up, that's a real phenomena that we can uh, uh, you know, explain with waveform physics. And so all of these things that weren't available in prior times, including this knowledge of uh, you know, what makes us tick in the first place is, is really putting us, I think, in the most favorable position historically for humanity, even though it really looks like uh, all hell is breaking loose. Uh, that's not to minimize all the real things going on. And most likely the chaos will continue to see and, and also escalate. But uh, I think uh, it's important always to just reframe it in that, you know, we are being led by higher intelligence, including, you know, you mentioned uh, you know, the sun and planetary bodies and things. Well, those are all living intelligence as well. And of course, when you're in the flow drafting that higher intelligence, then magic starts to happen and all the solutions appear. So sorry, since you opened the door to that, I just want to make a quick comment. Well, I did open the door because I knew you'd respond to it in a, in a way that I couldn't <laughs> phrase it because I have my little niche of understanding the frequency field and the cosmic ray density increases 
And then on the planets, you know, you might just sit there and go, well, these guys are talking to woo woo mumbo jumbo there. What is new agey junk? It's not because let's start out. If we go back to May of 2020, Pluto's atmosphere collapsed. And that should be a wow factor and go, wow, that really has. So there must be some electromagnetic effects happening within our solar system. And then Uranus, six months later, reversed its atmosphere. And that should have been a double wow. That's incredible factor. And then Neptune, the rings around there, there were x-ray jumps that were visible with the naked eye. Now, normally a lot of this stuff would happen in a different spectral wavelength that would require instrumentation to view and quantify. But the x-ray discharge was so heavy that it was visible with the naked eye jumping off the planet, grabbing on the rings, and then shooting out into what we consider space. But no, it was following on the Birkeland currents in the electric field lines that you can't see that are invisible to our naked eye. So when you start to see something at this proportion that's so far exponentially above the charts to see X-ray, it's a, you know, when you look at an X-ray flare coming off the sun and the way that they categorize different flares from the sun, you got the M flares. And of course, the, the most famous are the X flares. When you look at that, it actually has an X pattern when it goes and it comes off the sun. You can actually see that X shape from the discharge pattern with such heavy intensity but for an outer planet to, to jump with the X-ray visible to the naked eye out to the rings and then continue down the field lines is just something to behold. And then I was talking before the broadcast here, I have a telescope that I moved out of the back here. Uh, Jupiter's auroras are 10, or were 10X and they kind of dissipated a little bit as the sun's turned on for solar cycle 25. But when it went to the low just uh, maybe six months ago, and even in the last three months, you could see blue halos coming off of Jupiter. The aurora were 10x more intense. And then one of the latest things that's happened just two months ago is normally when you have northern and southern light, you need a magnetic field. So those lights of charged particles can follow down the magnetic field lines, illuminate that, and then we start to get the aurora. And if it's really intense, it'll make a, like a cylindrical cone where it'll follow a magnetic field line down. And that's why you get some really brilliant blues that are almost like a cylinder coming down and the uh, auroral ropes. And there's different types of twisting auroral ropes that, you know, positive negative current going around each other that follow those same field lines. But Mars doesn't really have an atmosphere or a magnetic field that creates an atmosphere like Earth. What it does have, though, is mineral in the crust and aurora started to come out of even the equatorial bands off of Mars where the aurora were coming out of the mineral composition of Mars crust. That was about four months ago. So I'm looking saying, hmm, Earth is next here. If you're gonna be coming from the outer planets coming in, so what types of things would it be looking for? And you mentioned toroidal fields there. Jupiter is going to swing past the Earth coming up in the first part of 2022, probably around March. I can give you an exact date if I get back on the JPL models to see when that's going to swing in front. As soon as Jupiter swings around in front of the Earth, we're going to be locked into a second magnetic field until 2024, where it's a perfect square. And that has a looping toroidal field as well associated with it. But if you think about Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune as one new magnetic field forming interlooping on itself as a solid magnetic field, slight, but its own magnetic field. We got Mars and then Earth, which means we're two planets away from that. But then we have the sun stepping down and we're the third planet away from that. 
Now, nothing goes to zero. So there's probably going to be a balance and equilibrium of that disc of the decrease off the sun and some sort of in, uh, equilibrium within that second magnetic field. So if you're talking about looping toroidal waves, we're going to come in and the Earth's going to be right in the center there, 2024. But as we Jupiter swings past here, we're going to have an enormous amount of crustal damage coming up here is the best way I can put it. Earth cracks, land subsistence, land upwelling. Uh, instant land upwelling like we saw in Haryana in India, earth cracks all over the place. There's as many instances of this happening. So you come into something called the Bosch wall when these two toroidal fields are looping in on themselves. There's this equilibrium midpoint where those two magnetic fields are overlooping on themselves and it's called the Bosch wall. Well, we're going to be in that Bosch wall square in the center in October of 2024. So if you're looking at this from a perspective of a government trying to still retain control on the planet without sending all out unbelievable panic across the airwaves. We don't even know what's going to happen with the second magnetic field. For sure, after March and April of this year, when Jupiter swings past and we get more locked into it, we'll have a good idea of how much damage it's going to do to the infrastructure on the surface of the Earth. Now, take that into perspective on the possibilities of you coming down into decentralized agriculture, starting with your own garden, regional trading, because things are going to get start to get cut off at the edges. So maybe this is some of the reason for the supply chain disruptions. Already a built-in excuse there. Because are you going to come clean with the populace? Like, hey, the reason that bridge collapsed over there. Oh, the reason the rail lines ripped over there. Oh, that landslide that took away that road over there. That was just because it rained a lot. On that, that land that lifted up 30 feet in the middle of a farm field, that was just because... Uh, yeah, there was a pipe under there and the gas compressed and it uplifted the earth by way for two miles that direction. Like they're going to give you some easy excuse in the news, but to come clean to say our earth is going to start rifting in the top two miles of the crust as we enter the second magnetic field. By the way, your intuition, your manifestation capabilities and the whole electric circuitry of the planet is going to leave electric striking and plasma discharge in the right in the, in the skies in front of you for eight to 10 to 12 seconds, where you're going to see things off Chaco Canyon come to life in front of you in the next three years. But please keep going to work. Please keep paying your taxes and please obey the rule of law. Okay. Now let's go. Wow. And, and David, are and you, that's all true. And I can prove <laughs> yeah. every single thing I just said with an enormous amount of backed up science on this and instrumentation, everything you want. I can back all that up. And, and when you say science, you're not talking about corporate scientism. You're talking about empirical data that you're collecting on your own or through trusted sources, not necessarily NASA, which we know is the lying entity of the corrupted centralized forces, because we're obviously triggering people in, in the comments already here. And one thing I said is because we do have, yeah, go. you know, we have some folks in there that are like, what's he talking about? And to, to deny the fact that astral bodies have an effect on this, whether you call it a planet, a plane, whatever, that's ridiculous. Of course they do. Um, but what I was going to ask you is, are you familiar with this idea that the earth is expanding too? that we're going through an expansion part that is related to all these energetics and that also some of this cracking that we're seeing and, and is actually due to the earth growing at this time. I was hoping you both had the answer for that's something I wanted to ask you both because I'm looking mm -hmm. for that answer myself. Uh, there's a lot of information that I'm trying to collect as data points, but I don't have it all. And you have a little more, that's more your niche of understanding that and mm -hmm torsion physics and, and plasma expansion, et cetera, at cores. So uh, I was hoping maybe you could. Well, maybe Bear has a little insight onto this. Bear? 
Well, we could go off into some tangents about that. Um, you should. It, it might be. A... <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you should. So, um, well, I look at things a lot differently. Um, I believe there are technologies involved uh, in the planet itself. Uh, another whole discussion that um, perhaps are responsible for a lot of the mechanisms that we uh, see and associate with just, uh, you know, our, our reality here. And also um, there uh, really needs to be a greater understanding of waveforms because, you know, you can't have physicality without a waveform. And then the physicality is nothing more than appearance. But the, 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 the thing is, is planetary bodies, uh, just like anything else are always under a state of flux of going through, um, you know, states between electrical prolation and oblation, uh, you know, those forces. So it can actually change the appearance of things, uh, you know, how things operate. And, um, you know, if, if we're just sitting back and I think arguing about the shape of the world, or perhaps, um, you know, if the world is in fact living, I think there's more than ample evidence, you know, when you get into the, the bottom line understanding of just ourselves as, as people, for instance, you know, we do the same thing that our, um, our planet, we'll call it, uh, you know, does, and that we're always going through these electrical fluxes. You even see changes that happen occur to our bodies in later life, you know, as we, um, you know, kind of shift between oblation and prolation. And so when you bring in these electrical phenomena into the picture, I think we not only uh, understand that there's a lot more that we aren't even discussing yet, let alone observing, but also it puts us in the power seat in that, you know, on this plane, we are in fact ascension beings capable of creating those electrical vectors by way of our sentience and our thoughts and uh you know we are very active participants in this uh you know in this experiment we'll say so um i know that's kind of roundabout isn't really answering your question but you know it's it does open up into an entirely new field that would explain things in entirely different ways it would be uh probably very amazing and even stretch the imagination of most people and, and on a more metaphysical side of things, too, if we consider that Gaia or Sophia is a living consciousness entity and we're going through a consciousness expansion right now, it, you know, that could crystallize in the expansion of the physical form, too, of course. So um, there's, a you know, when you're talking about these heavenly bodies, these these planets, David, too, I, I, I think of Rudolf Steiner and I and in his notion of these of these planets um emanating from from earth or from consciousness and this gets a little trippier but these are these are living breathing entities themselves that are directly electrical right and are are are, are all communicating each other through the ether or through the electromagnetic whatever we want to call it right this this invisible force that you that you talk about the Berkeley, whatever we want to talk about so we are in a live like you know connected um uh, reality and I think uh, with the materialistic reduction to science that we're forced under, they refuse to look at that. And so, you know, this is really important, I think, for climate 
and understanding how the climate works because we can, I personally believe we can affect the climate with our own consciousness. And that's why we've done shows about Oregon technology and Wilhelm Reich. And I think it's important because it can help us look at solutions for helping us with our farm here with impending potential, you know, June and July frost for all we know with this grand solar minimum, what the sun's doing and understanding really what the sun is and what the plasma is and how all this affects with directly with our consciousness. So for me, it's really exciting because I believe we're finally getting into the enriched science that we really need to be diving into and through both observation and understanding the spiritual side of it more. And Barry, you brought up a little point there. In Melbourne, on that day of rage that was occurring just before the protest, they had the biggest earthquake ever recorded in Melbourne. So you really have to wonder, was that what you were referring to? The human themselves triggering that through the emotional state at that one vector on the planet? Because, or was it a technological triggered event? And, you know, I'm wondering, I put it into the two camps because we're starting to see at least some data points where the strictest lockdowns are happening and the most uh, draconian, let's say, removal of people's liberties seem to now have the largest natural disasters happening directly over those areas, whether it be the once in a thousand year flood, the largest mudslides, uh, volcanic eruptions or earthquakes themselves. I mean, literally within square feet of where these events are happening you just got to wonder, is it now the human resonance field that's triggering on and it has a physical effect on this planetary body here? I really, yeah, you know, it's becoming very connected in a correlation now between these events and what's happening on the ground for a better term. Yeah. And, and just like a human body, you know, there are trillions of cells that, uh, you know, are a composite that, that make up the human body. And uh, there is a central intelligence that has mechanisms to keep things in equilibrium, uh, cleansed and re in a regenerative cycle. And um, the, the earth, regardless of what we think its shape is, is a, is a living uh, you know, technology uh, and intelligence in and of itself. So if the cells, uh, you know, which include us on the so-called surface, are um, creating toxicity, just like in the human body, the earth will have mechanisms that will discharge pressures, um, you know, just like on, on an emotional plane, when we're in some kind of traumatic event in our life, a lot of pressure builds up, and then we usually have to have some event to discharge it, even if it's unpleasant. Um, you know, I believe the earth does the same thing. Now, of course, we have people on the ground also that are manufacturing weather and trying their best to manipulate that too. But I think far overriding that is just the effect that we have and the mechanisms that within the earth that are there to uh, keep us cleansed, including in the atmosphere. You know, lightning is, uh, is, uh, is an example of a purifying element whenever it happens. And you know, how many times have after a storm do we go outside when the sun's shining again and we just feel uplifted? And you know, not just because the sun's 
out again, but because, um, you know, we really feel an upliftment from the cleansing, from the pressure release. And it's just like, you know, when you get over a little cleansing yourself that we might call a cold or a flu, you know, after you get over the symptoms, you feel better than ever. So the earth as a living sentient being has those mechanisms that are there at play to give us an opportunity to live another day and have our experience. I like the after rain air. I'll agree with you. You know, that's one of the best feelings is going out after an intense thunderstorm and front rolls through. If it's rained for a couple of days and going out and breathing that refreshed atmosphere and just every cell just comes back to life again. You can smell it. You can taste the freshness. If for a, it's something very, I would highly recommend everybody chase the rain, you know, yeah. Yeah. Ozone so therapy, wanna... baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's why surfers love. That's why surfers are so happy. They were sitting out in the negative islands the whole day was the waves are crashing. They're sitting out right in the zone of that. Yeah. That's why surfers traditionally are just so chill. Right. And just so just at peace, man. It's like, that's why we talk like this, bro, because it's just, yeah, we're out here. (laughs) Totally, man. Um, Yeah. So, David, um, let's get into where you're thinking the the, the weather's coming in terms of, do you see this uh, a minimum coming? Are we in it already? Um, What are your kind of feelings now since we last talked? Like I was mentioning on our email, I mean, we're hitting in the low 30s already here. Uh, in the lower Pacific Northwest in early October with frost coming in already. Um, what, what are you seeing right now uh, in, from your side of things? What you're seeing now, now again, it's my personal opinion. It's a lot of people I talk to and I, I try to arrive at my own ideas after I synthesize the information. It's going to continue to amplify as pressure systems get locked in over areas for a longer period of time. You know, with the, you got to think about over the last, let's say, I'll even say 200 years since the Dalton minimum, which was a very light grand solar minimum. But if we go back to the Maunder minimum, which was considered a heavy event, dropping Earth's average temperature 1.78 degrees, that's on an average. You got to think that's that's a drastic shift. That's near four degrees Fahrenheit, just as the average. So can you imagine the the winters uh, coming in cooler and the periphery seasons being that much cooler? You would take weeks, if not months, off your growth season. So keeping that in mind as a, as a just a reference point in time, let's say 1650, while Earth's pretty much locked in and reestablished an equilibrium with the magnetic field of the sun. So our Earth's magnetic field and the sun's magnetic field albeit outside the 11-year solar cycle, which dictates what happens in the Pacific Ocean, you get El Nino, La Nina, that had been locked in for about 400 years. So the cloud cells stabilized themselves, the jet streams had locked into their positions. Now you're starting to see these jet streams going out of their normal position, what they call these Arctic vortexes or whatever you like it. Now there's a new term, like I said last time we talked, look for this new term, the equatorial vortex, because they had to explain the heat that's bending completely off the equator because the jet streams are going in such disarray. So if the sun's stepping down now into a 400-year event or even more on the intensity, the cloud cells are going to try to readjust themselves, and they're going to fight for space in the atmosphere, right along with the jet streams all colliding, and then the cosmic rays are adding new cloud layer up there around 18,000 feet. So the precipitation events that we're seeing 
are going to continue to amplify as cloud cells continue to crash in on each other, mixed in with another whole layer on top of the jet streams, trying to fight to find new positions and they're getting squeezed out. That's why we're getting these intense lows going clear down into central Mexico, even down past Cuba. So the rain events shall continue in intensity and the droughts where they are now, they're going to lock in for a little bit longer period of time. You know, before it would be a drought for a year and then it would alleviate and then it, you do this back and forth. But the way it's looking now, things are going to start locking in place for years on end. And then they'll go a swing between multi-year, multi-year. So if we're looking at dry conditions right now in some places that continue. The cooler temperatures on the periphery season in the more northerly latitudes is gonna amplify, you'll see that. And the Southern hemisphere seems to be leading the Northern hemisphere, this grand solar minimum in terms of, if you look down there during the winter time, you can get a glimpse of what the Northern hemisphere winter and spring will be like. Now, in terms of magnetism, the volcanism itself is one thing. Yeah, there'll be more earthquakes and landslips talking about this thing, but an outlier, not a lot of people are really glimpsing and adding into their risk assessment is a volcanic ash. Now, volcanic ash in a regional area, yeah, you're going to have, you might have to leave your home. You couldn't drive your car, but further afield, when you're talking about animal husbandry and you're out letting your goats, chickens, cows, pig, whatever it is, wild forage out there, they're not going to be able to because the ash will not allow them to eat out into the, the grass or the silage anymore if it's grown in the fields. So moving forward, you're going to be looking for more eruptions with more ash into the air that's going to affect that even fish farming. The gills are going to get stopped up in these fish, like we saw in a couple of real large uh, eruptions down in Peru and Ecuador over the last you know, four or five years. So coming into this, you know, Self-sufficiency and sustainability is one thing to think about. Uh, I've eaten vegetables in Costa Rica that had ash on them and it's just gritty on the teeth. And you go back through a, a myriad of historical studies and one of the outliers they do to see how much volcanic activity there was is they look at the teeth decomposition and see how many scratches there were in the teeth of the people that they found in the graves or when they're going back through the last 8,000 years, finding skeletons, et cetera. They look into the dental records of these people living at the time to see how much grit was in the teeth of the food they were consuming because there was more volcanic ash in the air. So now we're thinking about this feedback loop of more volcanic activity and how will that affect you and I trying to have our own lives off, off the main system with our own animals out here. But what happens if they're not able to eat because the volcanic ash is in their food supply and yours too? And the, you know you can bring that out into the whole mechanized system of global agriculture, agribusiness. What about the silage for the cattle? What about the silage and the, it, it just, it'll run through the entire food ecosystem with this ash problem. And not a lot of people are talking about protecting their food. Are you going to put everything in a greenhouse? I mean, you know how difficult that is. Vertical agriculture, are you, how are you going to grow everything if you lose power and you don't have heat in the middle of winter to heat your greenhouse? There's just an enormous amount of things to think about with just this one variable, ash in the atmosphere that's gonna make food unconsumable for animal or people. 
And yeah. I'll stop there. And historically, I think we've seen some uh, quote unquote pandemics, uh, global pandemics related to the ash and related to volcanic activity. So uh, in terms of historical records and stuff. So that's a fascinating thing. Uh, where in your mind, do you think uh, some of these, uh, some of this activity would be? Do you have any actual geographic uh, pinpoint in terms of where you think we might see some of this? Cascadia, for sure. All the way down to California, 2024 or earlier. These, these are known hotspots that go off every grand solar minimum on the 400-year cycle. So there's a lot of charts. And you can, and the best thing to do, if anybody's saying, well, how do you find all this information? Man, what do you do? Well, yeah, I do a lot of research and I make a lot of phone calls and I listen to other information too. But if you go to a PDF search engine, because if you go to the net today and you're in your, even Brave or uh, DuckDuckGo, you know, when you go in there and you try to search for some information on the regular internet, you're just inundated with overflow of garbage and things with a little bit of snippet of, of fact. You want to go to a PDF search engine and then put your key terms in there because all that does is bring you PDFs from you know, resources and universities, uh, et cetera. And they're all usually peer-reviewed, most of them. There's a few independents that are have plugged in there, but almost all of that. And once you start finding your first key term, and you open up a document and you get some keywords there, then you can plug those in to get better results. And eventually they can really wire down very specifics of precipitation and stalactite cores from this area and these specific years. And then you can just go place by place across the planet and look for specifics, precipitation, drought, uh, population migration, uh, societal collapse, ruins, and different leftover bits of civilization that have disappeared that are rediscovered in archaeological digs and you can quantify that but then at the same time you can definitely take a look at the ash cores that when they're drilling in lake core drilling sediments or if you get somewhere further north or there's somewhere there's ice they can really get some good indication of how much ash was around in different latitudes based on the ice cores and you start to map it out where these volcanoes have gone off time and time and time again and you put them into a timeline and then you see oh Every 400 years, this seems to go off at the same time that the sun steps down. Yeah, this this seems to connect with a lot of uh, reset uh, theories, too, that go to the Tartarian stuff and the mud flood and all this. And it really, I think, points a lot to the sun activity. And it's I think people need to look more to that because... Um, it, it, maybe we ha we're missing something there. But in terms of the greenhouse uh, idea too, in terms of heating and stuff, I mean, uh, the geothermal regulated kind of sunken greenhouse idea is a pretty good one um, because you're using just the natural uh, heat of the earth with long pipes, you know, um, and uh, something that I know Bear and I have talked about putting at the Alpha Vedic Gardens and at my house as well. Um, so there are some really inventive old school, just very simple ways to go about getting your food more secure that doesn't rely on um, burning fossil fuels or solar panels and stuff like that, using mirrors, being in a place where you're getting enough sun. Now, of course, if you have ash and uh, a layer over that's blocking the sun, I mean, you're <laughs> that's getting tough. You're going to have to start growing stuff that doesn't need as much sun. Um, it, you know, so this is when it, when I get spiritual, David, it's like, and this is why I like the Oregon Wilhelm Reich stuff. Cause it's like, maybe we can counter this and, and, and this gets into like, what really is the sun and how our, our spiritual powers interplay with the electrical systems so that we can create a better form of protection. That's beyond just 
mainstream kind of materialistic science. I don't know. It gets trippy, but kind of when you're looking at global volcanic ash covering the world, it starts to go there. It's like, what else can we look towards, you know, in terms of solutions? It'll be regional first. It won't be uh, the full globe. You know, and you, you gave me that picture of like a complete ash layer where you can sun so dim you can barely see through it. But with the uh, with the Reich devices, with the copper piping sticking up, I'm wondering if you could aim that up and like clear a part of the sky out there. Yeah, yeah, the earth pipes and stuff. I mean, we're we've been uh, pounding those in the ground here and at the farm and stuff, and already seeing. I'm already seeing effects of that. We saw some really cool angelic swirls of chemtrails that were coming over that got pushed out. Um, so it's it's fascinating, and I think we need to start pushing as bear talks about all the time, pushing the boundaries of taking alchemy and taking Reiki and, and Tesla type technologies and exploring them more, because I think we can go places that um, could help be massive for solutions for the climate. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no political uh, solution as far as, you know, I'm concerned. There's no present technological solution. Uh, we do have the ability to bring technology to the level where it will give us the solution for everything we're talking about. But what I wanted to ask you, David, um, you know, since you mentioned the, th the three things, uh, you know, that kind of coincide with these events, these, um, these natural cyclic events, uh, what, what did you say? Migration, population reduction, civil unrest, I think. Um, it seems like the powers that be are really trying to prevent some of that from happening and keeping people uh, within danger zones there. So um, how do you see that one playing out? I term it as the fingerprints of the grand solar minimum. The population migration, where obviously people are gonna move if there's no economy and cooler weather and predominantly in history, people grew their own food or regionally, and that's all there was. If you couldn't grow, you packed up the wagon and, or ox cart and you moved to a different location. So in Finland and Nordic countries, after the Maunder minimum, people had emptied that area out. And it used to be a thriving culture. Boats could come in, but there was so much sea ice pack up there, they couldn't ever resupply themselves. So the Nordic countries had emptied out in say 1650, 1660, Populations had left and they were like 10% population of the original. So and people started to re-arrive back in 1720 when the ships could come back in. And those towns had emptied out 90% or so. There was a bare minimum population. And you start to look now, what numbers do we need to keep a bare minimum of our civilization functional? But you see a lot of these things happening where people go, no, nope, no doobity doop in my body. So I'm not going to go back to work. But they're already starting to see massive effects of things breaking and not functioning correctly because there's not even a minimum amount of staff to keep things at barely functional level. When you go below that across all industries, then what happens? So you got to look at bare minimum numbers to keep a society functional. So the population migration is going to be one thing. Now, the economic downturn, reset, collapse, whatever you like to term it, is what's value based on? What's value asset? going to be? What was it? Well, it was fiat currency. Fiat was based on what? Well, the productivity of a country. And then if you boil it down, the productivity of a nation is its food supply and the production of food. Those available calories can allow other people to do extra tasks, which then in turn create something, make something, create a service. And then that's valued 
you don't have any food, you got people laying on the floor malnourished, you're not creating anything of value. So fiat in itself is going to have to be revalued, which makes sense when cryptocurrency comes. A reset of sorts, baskets of currency, including gold, uh, crypto. Of course, it's going to be the central bank digital currencies. It won't be anything native like you all are creating or what's out there in the ecosystem now either. No control in that. They're only going to you know, put baskets of currencies, gold, and things that are under control again with central bank digital issuance. But then also you have this thing, the government overthrows and the political discontent that arrives when people are hungry, they got no jobs, their economies collapse, then what? Well, they want change in government. But this time it doesn't seem like you can air your, your, your anger, your regress, or whatever you like to call it, out to the populace or to the, to the governments anymore. You're all locked down. Nobody can go and do anything to say, hey, we need change. So it does seem that they're trying to front run this whole thing based on past cycles Mm-hmm. Chinese have tried it, but their food has collapsed. They're absolutely going into a famine in China if they don't get food this year. They're down to the clean your plate campaign. You got to lick every last little piece of grass off your plate. And the, the kids, because they're not getting as much meat as they used to, the newer generations calling it chewing grass. So yes, they're trying to promote vegetarian meals and not so much protein and, and sort of thing over there because they don't have the, they lost their poultry and, and the pork production, pretty much. Uh, the, every warehouse that was in the flood zones is nothing left. Uh, crops are at 50%, as well as last year, they were 50%. So they're going to go on a massive buying campaign to bring food in the country, and they're already at bare rations anyway, and you got all these power supply disruptions. And in my opinion, if they are stopping soybean press operations over there, which means you, know, you import soybeans from country, whatever, Brazil, United States, you bring in the soybeans and you crush them for oil so people can cook. They have ceased those operations in China. So for me, that's a huge, huge, way huge red flag that they're saying, oh, yeah, we're stopping some sort of economic um, you know, use of power to produce your touch glass for your Apple iPads and thing. OK, I could believe that. But when it comes down to where they're stopping soy crush over there. That, that's 50x above on the problem that they're telling publicly because you don't stop the food production of oil for people to cook in the country and shut those facilities down unless there is such the gigantic power lack and problem over there. So China tried to front run this. They're, they have the best information on the whole planet about during these grand solar minimums, when things collapse, they have 4,000 years of data. They went through 10 of these cycles already. And another fact for anybody who might not believe this no Chinese dynasty has ever lasted longer than 400 years, ever, because they're on the 400-year collapse cycle right along with the Grand Solar Minimum, and she understood it this time, and he was trying to be the only person of power to try to override these cycles naturally, but the population was too large. Food production was in polluted centralized areas. The dams didn't work. They overflowed. They had to release all the water or flood major city centers. And the countryside was sacrificed. But wait a second, you sacrificed the countryside, but that's where you grow all your food so you could keep people's with the connected CCP and Communist Party ties from getting their car flooded, but you destroyed your food supply. You know, things have gone completely awry over there. So I don't think they're going to survive this grand solar minimum. I think we're looking for another collapse over there too. And of course, and long, that's that why was a long-winded see... answer, Bear. I'm sorry. I should have no, no, said. that's okay. ABC finished. <laughs> And we also see them, uh, you know, trying to um, 
takeover areas in Northern Africa and all over the planet, you know, in order to meet their needs. And of course, that's a real dangerous thing because when civilizations are in the midst of collapse, then that's usually when they go to war as a last resort. And we're already seeing the, you know, perhaps some pretenses of that right now. Um, so, you know, in the area where we live, we're pretty rural and the closest town is a long ways away, but a lot of the people from the Bay Area, which is about 10 hours south of here, um, you know, and, and actually all over moving to this part of the state. And of course, these are the people that have the means to do that. Uh, they're in bidding wars with houses, you know, up in this area and everything and paying over the asking price just to get the heck out of the city or wherever they're at. The problem that, you know, a lot of us see that are here is that these people, you know, maybe even some of them are preppers, but I don't think prepping is the answer either these days. I think it's a good idea to have food storage and everything for sure, but it's uh, beyond prepping, you really need a new mindset. Uh, you need a new skill set for sure. And these folks that are all moving to places, you know, like where you live, a lot of people are moving to Tennessee, a lot of people, you know, where to, uh, and mostly rural areas, is that correct? Yeah, like to Florida, Tennessee, uh, Texas, perhaps. And, um, you know, they're just uh, importing their same mindset and expecting the grocery stores to be open. So those of us that are here and have even been talking about this for a long time and that are prepared, not just with food storage, but, you know, other self-sufficiency um, measures, you know, that we put in place a long time ago. Uh, you know, the quandary I think we're going to find ourselves in is people showing up on our doorstep that are hungry. And, uh you know, of course, uh, you want to help out whenever you can, but I think some of the people showing up may not be that um, that pleasant and may just, uh, you know, want to take what you have. So, uh, you know, throw that into the mix as well. Do you see similar things happening in rural Tennessee where you're at there with different folks moving in? Absolutely. And the bidding wars here, uh, I have a, one of my neighbors is a, a realtor. I was talking to him and he, he heads up all the rural land purchase for part of their company here in East Tennessee. It's nothing, nothing commercial, nothing suburbia. It's all just pure rural or forest land that they do ag land. He was saying that they had a record new price of $120,000 over ask 120,000 over the asking price. That was a new record set in their company. Never heard. He's like, no, this is so impossible probably higher where you are because 120 K here and people in California are cashing out in cash, rocking up here, buying a 50, hundred acre farm cash. You know, the prices in California are absurd and New York and Vermont absurd. So when they come down to places like Tennessee, where it's incredibly reasonable for land, they're paying cash for everything outbidding. I don't care. Oh, it's a, I still have an extra $500,000, still extra $2 million, whatever. I'll just pay whatever. Yeah, okay. hundred thousand, two hundred, three. Okay. I'm going to outbid you 400. Okay. I want it. It's the only thing that's going to assure my survival. But, you know, I'm not too far from an Amish farm and I just bought my first uh, live weight sheep. It was a lamb, 105 pounds. First time I ever, they slaughtered it. First time for me to butcher it. So that, that in itself is, you know, butchering, uh, you know, a hundred pound animal after we moved the head. We kept all the innards because a lot of great stuff in there with the stomach and the heart and the liver and everything to cook up. But to be able to prepare that and then put it away is one thing. But the Amish were telling me that they lost three of their lambs to coyotes this year. Now, you got to realize these are Amish. They live out there. 
they got massive dogs of different breeds that are meant to guard those sheep at night. And they still lost three. And that, that's what they're experts at their craft. That's all they do all the time for generations is grow and animal husbandry. And they are still losing, you know, herd to pests, coyotes. And then this year, the Japanese beetles were out of control. It's difficult to control them. Uh, it seems the insect world has also learned or awakened to the fact that this winter or this year coming up, it's going to be a scrimpy year for food because they were voracious. The wood bees as well, these uh, bees that bore into the wood were unstoppable monsters this year. And everybody was complaining like the wood bees were off the hook this year. So nature has been triggered about, you know, six months to a year in advance. So the animal kingdom is already getting ready for whatever harshness is coming at us. If the Amish can't keep their animals safe, like, you know, what do you think the average person for the first year on the farm, I'm going to put up a fence and I'm going to have a bunch of goats out there. How do you think they're going to fare? They're going to lose all their animals, whether they're stolen or whether they're taken by wild predators. And animal theft is becoming a thing out here. Cows are disappearing out of fields. Horse disappeared over here. Like things are just disappearing off people's farms out in Tennessee. People are coming in at night and literally stealing their animals. And, you know, the reports of, you know, things getting picked off trees here and uh, just things disappearing out of gardens. You know, there's pumpkins. Oh, you go and there's somebody picked 30 pumpkins out of our, another neighbor's garden over on the other side of the hill over there. Like things just disappearing, people coming through on the roads and just stopping as uh, opportunists. Okay, that's for now. But when it does come down to it, what do you really do? I mean, I had a discussion just yesterday with an old army guy who lives a few miles from me here in Tennessee. And he was saying, see what kind of skill set they have, what asset they can provide if they're going to come in with a community to build it out. What assets or what skill set do they have to help add to the community? But then you're right. What happens when you come and they don't want anything to do with what except you have inside and they're going to come and take it. I mean, it, you know, I don't know how far we can take it on here without being going <laughs> off the Richter with the sensors or demonitor or whatever happens here. But, you know, there's some real, real issues to be thought about in terms of security around the place. And how far are you going to yeah. take it? How far are you going to take it? Because they are not going to stop until they get what is ever in your place. And that includes people. So yeah. are you, you know, you're really going to have to make some seriously on the second spot choices here. Well, when you one, discharge those rounds, that is, you know, you're, you entered in a completely different world at that point. I think completely different. Yeah. I think one great solution to this, and we're seeing it in to some respects here, we had a slew of thefts here in the summer. Oh, you did and, too. And, yeah, and, here. and actually it was uh, automobiles being stolen and, and things that were really doesn't happen here. So what did they do? What happened here? A community galvanized, came together, came up with solutions, community watch. And I think one thing that's important to stress here is the power of community. And the idea of being a lone wolf is not viable. And um, so that whole concept of being the lone wolf gunman on survival prepper, that has to go out your consciousness right away. Um, it's going to be, I think, 
a, co- a combination of decentralization with the ability to barter and have your own means of doing commerce, right? And that can be in pockets throughout the whole world by using digital, but then two, having communities. And I think that has to relate to this new age of the Aquarian mindset. I think we're going to go back to micro communities because the crystallization that came through centralization, that's all fracturing. The, the one world system that we're already seeing dying, globalism is dead. The, the supply chains, everything is, is got out the window. The just-in-time system, that's all fracturing and dying and right in front of us. So I think having this sensibility where you need to get to a place where you can have community have your back. And that's what we really promote here with Alpha Vedic. And we're seeing while Bear is mentioning, yeah, we are, we do have some of that Silicon Valley type coming in, buying stuff sight unseen. We also have a huge bit of our community moving up here. And what we really like is the idea of being sovereign on your own land in a community where sovereigns connect. And so it's like, hey, what are you really good at doing? Well, I'm really good at growing hemp. And hemp, I think, is a great, by the way, you're talking about soy and stuff. And um, uh, Lee in here was mentioning, because he's in Asia, how um, uh, hemp has become a great uh, solution for the soy. But um, but uh, having that ability to be like, okay, you focus on that. We're going to focus on this. We'll work together uh, and we'll have our confederation here in our locality in the United States. That's why Bear and I like to focus on counties versus states because you have a sheriff. And if you're in a place that has a sheriff that has your back, you have now a much more stratified defense mechanism than um, than think, looking at it in a broader state. But that being said, we're also more fan of having your own sovereign land than like the commune idea, because I've seen the commune idea fracture and be weird and people get upset and disoriented from you're not doing enough. So we did a three part series, David, on land patents. Because that's like an extremely important aspect moving forward, having the sovereignty on your land to protect from seizure and capture because as the Agenda 2030 uh, uh, to the ADAPT 2030, but the Agenda 2030 uh, plan, which is they know this is coming. So they're trying to get everyone in these cities, right, to get everybody into a centralized system where they can force you to eat bugs uh, and all that. The, The counter to that is by being decentralized, but also being in communities that are rural and that are robust in our sovereignty. By the way, when you were talking about um, food and um, and all that with terms of, of the bugs and that, you know what the number one thing in Silicon Valley is now? The number one like development with companies is food, is, is, is uh, synthetic food just, um, creation. That is like the number one thing that's, that Silicon Valley is focused on right now. So that'll tell you something. But yeah, but that's how Alpha Vedic is going at about it. Um, are you seeing that in your neck of the woods? I mean, you're obviously connecting with neighbors. Are you having, I mean, that seems like a positive thing that's happening as people are, are coming together in these places and working with each other on solutions and that, and that, and that idea. Yeah, and I, the synthetic food, don't they have to have a base input of ingredient in the beginning to even construct those foods? And where's well, that going to come from? Yeah, exactly. So that's what gets creepy, right? It's like, what are they doing in those labs? There, a lot of them are carbon-based. Where are they getting that carbon from? Or where are they getting um, you know, the, the core constituents of that food? That's a great point. Are we looking at potentially um, <laughs> like a sci-fi film? Like um, uh, what was it called? Green. Uh, um, Soylent Green. So- Soylent Green. 
I mean, uh, so yeah, um, what it comes down to once again is getting as sovereign as you can in your food production, in your ability to control your land from centralized forces, and then getting activated in your community. We had, uh, uh, you know, we've been uh, involved somewhat with the bears with Owen Benjamin because um, whether you agree with all of what he says, he's a funny guy, I love him to death, but he has galvanized uh, a, a global community around this concept, right, of becoming more and more sovereign with your food production, embracing older tried and true technologies um, that don't rely upon a centralized system or centralized technologies or the grid. Uh, and while I am not a Luddite, and I believe in the ability for technologies as a tool to help us. I also very much appreciate tried and true stuff. Like we just, my wife just got back from visiting family in Santa Barbara and brought back an 1889 food mill from her great, great grandmother. And I'm telling you, Bear, this thing's like a hundred pounds. I mean, they just don't make stuff like this anymore. So being able to embrace those old technologies is extremely important as well. And we just need to be with it. We need to help each other out and really get as sovereign as we can be. Yeah, well, I will tell you one of the ends here, at least uh, I joined the Beekeepers Association and, you know, people who are keeping bees and plus I, I got three hives out here. And then the person who's mentoring me also has uh, five hives out here because I have a pretty uh, 23 acres in the back. So getting into a local community that's already involved in some sort of animal husbandry, beekeeping or gardening itself. And then there's a lot of, uh, you know, 3% groups that are around here, especially with the uh, EMT training and, and sort of thing like that. So there's many ways to put your fingers into where you want to be and meet some of the right people. Now, my next step is trying to find people who can come out here every single month, teach me about wild foraging as we walk around and make a food map of the land month by month, season by season. That way we know we have a full working supermarket up here in the forest that we can walk around. But to find these types of people, I'm having difficulty. You know, people who really know the true knowledge of wild foraging that can almost identify everything that's in this area and then spend the time to roll around with your bumbling, you know, what's this, what's that? Can we make it and can you eat this? Can you make it into medicine? And a million questions after every plant species identified. Yeah. Those are a little yeah. more harder that, to come well, by than, you know, now's the time to engage. No. Go ahead, Barry. I was going to say, now's the time to yeah. engage with the elders, find your elders and get with them and, and implore them to help educate those coming in. Um, and speaking of elders, someone I highly respect, Bear Lando, you have the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, elder. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Use a youngster. So, um, you know, I, I hear you, David, in, in this area, we have a, a very large Native American population, and um, we're actually been teaching classes, gardening classes, and you name it, and, uh, you know, a good number of them have been coming to our uh, get-togethers, and much to our dismay, uh, as we've tried to pick their brains as far as, you know, okay, they're indigenous, and and generational in this area, they've lost sight completely for the most part of uh, just wild crafting or what the heck, uh, you know, is growing under their ancestral land in the first place. So it's been an interesting phenomena because uh, in some ways we've actually been playing a role of teaching some of these folks that we were hoping to learn from and, uh, you know, especially going out in the forest and wildland areas and identifying native species and, and that sort of thing. 
So, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I think it might be part of that old uh, Hopi philosophy too, you know, where they say the, the children, their children, uh, ancestors would return, you know, and, you know, and be um, members of the different racial groups that would later inhabit the areas. And, and, and I think we're kind of seeing a cyclic changes too, as far as uh, people embodying, you know, with different past experiences and things. And uh, also the people that you would assume know the most um, actually are actually know the least, uh, you know, not to take anything away from anybody, but um, yeah, it's hard to find mentors. And that's one thing that we are doing is holding workshops and things here from everything from cultivating mushrooms to, you know, just gardening and so forth. Now, I wanted to mention one other thing. Um, you know, we talk about supply chain shortage. Right now, we are already making large purchases for our um, fertilizer needs for next growing season. Every year we've been on this land, we've, we've grown, uh, you know, more and more topsoil that is viable. So we have to do less and less, but still we want to I open up other areas and it takes a little bit of priming with certain fertilizers and things to get the whole thing going. And uh, I think one thing that a lot of the newcomers aren't realizing is they might not even be able to buy fertilizer for their tomatoes in their little raised beds when they move up here. What kind of price increase are you seeing then across the board for fertilizers now that you're purchasing? I would estimate we, you know, we purchase regularly. I would estimate oh, about, oh, in the last 10 years, we've seen them go up about 40%. Yeah, because the ammonia factories are shutting down and a lot of natural gas shortages here, there and everywhere. And the fertilizer factories themselves, the ammonia factory are just shutting down completely. So you have to ask yourself, how long would it be, A, to restaff it? And then get that thing up running from zero to bringing the trucks back in and getting whatever they need as base to manufacture. And then they're going to need the packaging for that and the supply chains of this and coming in and out. And a lot of truck drivers are just saying no jabba jabba do in my body either. So then there's less truck drivers. And where does it begin once it stops? The whole thing of it stopping and going idle should send shivers down your spine. It should. But then the next thing, how does it restart or doesn't it? And if you don't have fertilizers, you have to think about it. This is another uh, aspect of coming into next year. If we're seeing it on the individual level of not enough fertilizer, then on the commercial level, what happens if they can't get their full supply of potash and other fertilizers are used to? I use triple 10 sometimes, triple 19. I use a, a different variety of organics and uh, the, the kelp and the mycorrhiza and, and a different array of things that's, you know, it's not on the store shelf like it used to be either. But when it comes to the commercial level, what are the yields going to be if they're not able to get full access to fertilizers as is depended on to get these super high yields of 170 bushels per acre on corn? What happens if they're only running at 50% fertilizer supply through the whole ag business or ag arena next year? Our yields literally would be cut in half or probably more. Because you're looking at oats this year, there's almost no oat out there. The oats across the planet was a near loss this year. And the wheat in America is down to 1960s harvest level and there are going to be Durham wheat shortages for sure. They're already talking about, will you even have some certain types of pastas coming up at the end of the year? So if we're seeing it already at this 
beginning juncture of this grand solar minimum onsetting, the economy around this whole supply chain thing starting to shatter. But the things that you need to grow food inside that supply chain are also starting to disappear, shrink, dwindle, whatever words you want to use for that. So how is that going to affect the amount of food growing? And then we get back into that feedback loop again of, wait, government's trying to control the downfall because there's too many people that they can't provide food for, but then you just got another leg of that knocked out because there won't be enough fertilizer to boost production for more yield, which means less food and still more amounts to feed. And then the government's still stuck in the same position, but double heavy because you just knocked your production in half. So I don't, I don't have the answers. I'm just saying this is what's truly in earnest on the ground right now is something to think about for the, for and, the year inbound. And, and not, yeah, to, <laughs> not to be a, a dick, but I mean, I think America could do with a little less gluten and grains. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> this is all Wheat like belly, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I was joking around in the chat too. It's like, man, Wim Hof's going to be bigger than ever. I mean, like, let's embrace the cold. There's a lot of health. We talked about this on the first time you were here. Like, there's yeah. a while we've seen general trends where when we have minimums, we have more quote unquote disease and, and death in terms of that. But if we're knowledgeable and we understand what we can, how we can use the cold and we've done shows on this, like I, I do ice baths. I actually go in the river now because our river's so damn cold. It's amazing. Three minutes with some breath work in the river, in the cold, embrace the cold. And you know, we're built for this. Our bodies have the epigenetic memory of knowing how to survive and thrive with this. Well, we'll lose the white adipose fat. We'll regain the gray adipose fat by going into these processes. So Wim Hof, man, he's going to be more popular than ever with this coming mini ice age bear. <laughs> yeah. Ice baths. Uh, I agree with everything you're saying. Ice baths may not, uh, they may lose popularity when people are hungry though. <laughs> so, um, but, but the thing uh, is but, people, uh, people were, yeah. the point is people don't need to be hungry. If you get more sovereign and you understand how to grow your own food and get off being, with you know, just a, a used to the traditional means of going to the grocery store and eating the crappy GMO pesticide ridden food, anyways, that's killing you as it is. So, I mean, there's always a, a, a massive upside to these cycles. And I think we're going back to the consciousness side of things, the earth is working with our consciousness to help us get to the next level where we all need to get as a collective whole so that we can get out of this gross, dense plane of existence that we've been mired in for thousands of years of war and death and misery and slavery. So maybe the earth, maybe mother guy, maybe Sophia has given us a little kick in the ass. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, Bear, I know you're going to follow up with a comment on that. I'm just going to. Well, I, I wanted to hear more from you and, uh, you know, just back on the fertilizer and everything, you know, we do uh, rely on our animals. You know, I got a bunch of chickens out there. We use the chicken poop and everything, but you still got to feed the animals, you know. Now we have, uh, you know, solutions and, and we'll be able to ride this out. A lot of us will be, but most people won't. And I go back to the original question I had to you, uh, David, which is my biggest quandary. I don't so much worry about the, the marauders that show up with bad intentions, uh, you know, on our land. I worry more about the hungry family that looks at you with 
you know, genuine needs and just saying, Hey, my kids are hungry. Can you help me out? And part of me says, well, shoot, we were trying to tell you 40 years ago that this thing was, you know, in the works and coming, you didn't listen. And now you want my stuff. But then at the same time, you know, you, they appeal to your humanity. That's going to be a tough one. Yeah. Amish had the same exact conversation with the, you know, when we were <clears throat> slaughtering the, the lamb and then, um, you know, they wanted to do something with the pelt. So while we were, you know, getting the pelt off there and taking the organs out and putting them in a, in a, in a bucket and thing, he was saying the same thing. The Amish really understand that when this thing goes down, thousands and thousands of people are going to come rushing out to their farm. They're on 500 acres, not too far from here, but the average city person knows countryside's safe, all the foods out there. But then the average person knows way more. David's little tiny 20 acre farm over there probably doesn't have nearly as much food as the Amish do down there. Cause the Amish, they grow food. They have 500 acres. They must have enough for everybody. We'll just go and buy it. And they, they, the Amish guys I was talking to were like, Nope, we're going to just close up shop. We're going to drop a log out the front gate. We know they're going to walk over that. And the best we can do is like the Bible says, help your you know, brethren in need, and that shall come back to you. And here they're going to live by that principle of those in need, they're going to help because they do believe that giving that sustenance and that life-giving force is going to come back to them in many different ways. Instead of, like you say, that lone gunman on a hill going, no, you're not taking any of my stuff. I need my other can of peas that I saved from 1957. <laughs> you know, like that's not going to work, but they have it already under, and I had an interesting discussion with uh, crypt, about cryptocurrency with the Amish over there because they're very aware of what's going on. Don't delude yourself that they don't have access to any electrical devices and they live like they, uh, no, they're very super intelligent and understand what's going on and they need to understand it to survive and continue the world that they have. And they understood cryptocurrency as being a direct threat to anything cash-based that they operate in. So they're trying to figure it out in these next couple of years. What happens when crypto dominates and we do go away to a cashless culture? How are they still going to exist on a cash base, cash basis only culture? And I said, hey, I got a few rounds of silver. I'll be happy to trade you some silver for your food. But they say, yeah, you're one guy. You got a little silver. But what about everybody else who's going to come in? Hey, you take my app. Will you take it? No. So they're thinking about bartering and they already realize that most people are coming to consume their goods, won't have any barterables or tradables, but they'll still... They're trying, they're in a conundrum too. But going back to that whole thing, what's going to happen with the families at the front door? You know, I'm going to have to ask myself the same thing is I just don't know. You, you can expect it. Don't, that's the whole thing. Expect it to happen. It's not not going to happen. It is going to happen. If you're living in the countryside at some point in the next year, somebody is going to come knocking on your door hungry. And, you know, I made, I, you know, I, I pushed that timeline to say a year because a lot of things are starting to fail now and the failures keep to, they're, they're speeding up on the second failure. So the first failure might've taken six months, but the second set of failures has taken two months. And the third set of knock-on effects is going to take a month. And then we start to get into this kind of, then it'll be two weeks, then it'll be a week. And then it'll be happening every day where there'll just be complete breakdown. And, you know, we're starting to see it everywhere from, from not enough workforce out there to keep bare minimum going. And I'm wondering what's going to happen <clears throat> excuse me, with the grain shipments, because grain on rail is the most stable amount of business for any grain or rail shipper or anywhere. It's always grain. So what happens if, <clears throat> excuse me, if they, if they have to get jab dab dude because it's a government contract like BSNF, they got a government contract. None of those guys want that thing. Then what? Even your deliveries stop. People are going to come knocking. Cities are not going to be 
filled again. Yeah. And once again, I think the solution is community and get, it, this does get very spiritual, right? And in terms of, and I wasn't trying to just be a hard ass with that. I think it's trying to be basically letting people know, like, and this is what we do on our platform. And this is why we do a festival about solutions is like waking people up in the cities to understand. It's like, it's time to get sovereign. It's time to start seeing this. But when they do come, if you have a community that is growing in abundance, um, to support those people and bring them in if you can. Now, if you've got roving gangs coming in and it's turning into uh, something that's very, uh, uh, you know, dangerous, um, you got to start wondering what's obviously the the corporate governments are are projecting this stuff out. So they have uh, things in place too. So you know, you got to wonder what is, uh, what are they going to allow to happen? What's going to be working there? Are the military going to come in? So there's a lot of different things at play. So I don't know. I think uh, a great strategy is once again, just get crystallized with your community uh, and, and, and understand that we're in very spiritual times. And I do agree. Yeah. With the Amish there, it's like, you're going to be better by growing more and trying to support those people than, than trying to um, battle them. Uh, but also it does make sense like where our farm is, where you can kind of shut off from the world and make it very difficult for people to get to you, be in places where um, it's pretty rough. Like there's one, only one highway to really get to our town. And then it's just a bunch of backwoods, uh, you know, forest service roads. And we've talked in our town about what we do with that blowing the highway. Um, but still doesn't mean people aren't going to get here. So, yeah, I mean, these are all really really tough questions to answer, David. I agree. What about the tax man? You know, either the property tax itself in the county, or if you owe income tax and they put a lien on your property, and then the, at some point they'll be like, all right, if you owe, owe over this much on a lien, we're confiscating everything because we're going into a hyperinflationary event. So, Bear, I don't know if you have any, uh, you know, advice on that, especially when, you know, coming into property taxes and not being able to pay that on the legality of them being able to confiscate land or on the income tax end of things where you owe, and then they could use that as uh, some corner, some sort of like pins point on you out there. Well, that's, that. um, yeah, we, we've done a number of shows on that. And beyond just doing shows, you know, I've actually done a lot of these processes over the years and I hang within circles where people do do that. So when you get into land patents, of course you revert back to your original uh, title and uh, rather than a deed where you just have equitable interest uh, the title now goes back to that, um, you know, original ownership, property ownership, and that's what's been taken away from us. And when you're just deeded your property, like a warranty deed, typically, uh, you know, you are contracted to pay property taxes. So as soon as you do a quit claim and revert back to the original title, the land patent, then you're off the books as far as property taxes. Also with income tax, you know, as you're aware, that's uh, highly unconstitutional. Not highly. one penny of the income tax goes to paying for anything within our country or infrastructure. It goes directly to Puerto Rico every single uh, dime and then, you know, into the IMF. So we see none of that money. And so if, when you learn those facts, you say, well, why on earth would we be paying that in the first place? So in order to not be um, held accountable for trafficking in slaves, the original uh, framers of the Internal Revenue Service uh, have loopholes that allow you to get out. 
one of them is a code that's uh, now discovered. It's called the revocation of election to pay. If you've ever paid a, or filed a 1040, you can uh, revoke that contract and then get off of the books. Many of us have done things like that too. So it goes back into the same uh, level of awareness that it takes, you know, learning how to grow food and, and, you know, make your own way. You also have to learn how to get the predators out of your life and realize that they have certain codes they have to follow. And when you learn, um, you know, those codes and the loopholes that are purposely there for you, if you want to um, exit their system that, you know, you have to do a little bit of elbow grease and learning and just like you do, you know, do some research and change things because we don't have to be beholden to any of that. No way. How much pushback did you receive when you filed those forms with the IRS for the 10, uh, 1040? Um, the, the recent ones that I'm talking about, uh, no pushback at all. Um, now in earlier years, when we had just little pieces of the puzzle, um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't just get pushback. I got arrows in my back and, uh, got targeted pretty heavily, but you know, that's the way we learned. And in prior times we were willing to do that just to discover, okay, how the heck are they pulling this off in the first place? So we learned the hard way. Some of us are still here to talk about some not, uh, but there are solutions for that too. Yeah, beautiful. And then, of course, it all goes back to the conviction, if you want to bring this to a more spiritual level, that we are sovereign. Nobody on this plane has any authority over us. That is, you know, worshiping in false idols, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't matter. And uh, you just have to build that internal will force and just stick by your guns. You know, this is not a time or a place uh, historically to be a pussy. It's really not. And the, and the beautiful thing is it's all about consensus. And we are at a time where, thanks to the internet, what Bear is talking about when he was doing this on the, the early pioneers of the lawful remedy, very few people knew about it. So he was really putting his neck out on the line. And now, thanks to the internet, we have massive movement of people applying lawful remedy and all sorts of courses and different workshops and people understanding the difference between lawful versus legal. And it you know, uh, Craig's in the chat, your buddy, Craig, uh, who we love. And he's talking about, you know, back during the times of Stalin taxing, um, you know, 100, 110% uh, of the grain to the farmers and those that couldn't pay sent the ghoul, you know, sent them to the gulag. And that's frightening, but they didn't have the internet and they didn't have uh, ability for people to connect and, and find consensus. And they also didn't have the structure of the Republic and everything. Um, but that being said, we have lawful remedy that if enough people wake up fast enough, which I personally see happening, we can defend our sovereignty. And once again, I will, I, I know I keep saying this, it's all about sovereignty and it's all about people getting out of the, the, the clouds of the corporatism and, and watching Netflix and, and feeling like they're a victim and getting charge of their life and becoming sovereign. And that's the solution I think that's the most important people need to take away today. And one thing I might add is the reason I was asking these questions is when we come to this economic breakdown that has occurred through every grand solar minimum, your ability to <clears throat> have, an, have a way to pay even just these taxes I'm talking about is going to be removed from almost everybody. I mean, sure, you could walk in with a couple ounces of silver and pay your taxes, but you know, look out on the general landscape, how many people are even holding physical silver in their own possession right now? Less than 5%. 
So right there, 95% of the people lose their land, 95% of the people lose their farms or whatever it is. So the ability for the, the system to continue to function with the fiat, with the electronic, um, online banking, with your ATMs, your credit cards, that's all gonna go bye-bye. And when the fiat system's restructured, restructured 10 to one, restructured 100 to one, we're not really sure what it's going to be, but you're gonna be reissued something the frozen accounts, and then suddenly you wake up and then the reissuance. Uh, so if I had $1,000 in my account, I might make, wake up with 10 new dollars, or I might wake up with 100 new dollars. But those property taxes are going to stay the same in the, new, in the new dollar system. And those IRS debts are going to be brought over in the new dollar system after you've been reset 10 to 1 or 100 to 1. So, you know, you set up, you take all this time and energy to set up what you have on your homesteads, and then for an entity to be able to come in and rip that out from under you because you don't have a handful of silver, that is uh, the direction it looks like it's going because, you know, Agenda 2030, they want everybody out of the countryside. So you got to look at what are some of the ways that they might facilitate that. Well, even if you have your land completely paid for, then you're stuck with the property taxes. And then, you know, IRS doing their thing, oh, we got to lean on this, going to confiscate this, going to sell it from under you, da, da, da. So the energy put forth, and you can already see the plan to rip that away from almost everybody. They had to broadcast the plans. ADAPT 2030 is about revamping our food growing strategies before 2030 so we can feed the planet. Agenda 2030 is to get you off the land, put you into a city, jabba, jabba, do, <laughs> throw a phone in your hand, track and trace you, distribute the calories to keep you just barely alive and functional enough to go to do your job to make money for the state in any non-compliance and you'll end up as soylent green. That's where it's going. But I'm just wondering from here yeah. to there, how they're going to get these farmers out here off their land that already own it for like umpteen generations. And we see all these new tax laws that you can't pass down farmland or you get a million dollars, whoop de doo down to the next generation. But when you're looking at farms that average 350 acres out in somewhere like Kansas at $8,000 to $10,000 an acre, you're $2 million in the red and they want 40% of that as a capital gains tax, even though it's your family passing you down this land. And then if you want to sell a portion of the land to pay the property tax or to pay the capital gains tax, then you're going to get a capital gains tax on the property you sold to pay the capital gain tax on the property that you're bequeathed. So then you're getting this downward spiral. So what are you going to do? Keep 50 acres of the two, 250 acres that your family owned for 200 years? And that's the way they're trying to do it in another legal sense. Thanks, Biden, for doing that. But that's the way it's coming down now. You get a million dollars. And with all this hyperinflation, it could be a million dollars is going to be one acre in the future. The, the plans are nefarious. And the way that money printing is going, the devaluation of the dollar is putting absurd amounts on all of the valuations of assets, including property. So when it comes down to capital gains, you're going to be hit with some staggering numbers of amounts of money that are owed to these institutions. Yeah, and it's unsustainable in both directions. The government will not be able to survive. You know, it's, I mean, they just hardwired a half a million new IRS agents. And, yeah, well, right. good luck See, exactly, they, exactly. Yeah, they have to eat too. 
Um, and also, by the way, if you try to pay your taxes in silver, good luck with that. Accept <laughs> that. And unfortunately, David, you know, for most people, there's just too much of a learning curve on too many levels. I mean, we're growing food, dealing with, you know, predator government agencies and all the above. And, you know, because like Mike said, they've been watching Netflix. So unfortunately, there is going to be a lot of collateral damage with, uh, you know, with what's going on. When I was a kid, we allegedly, as a country, had 20 years of food put aside in silos and everything. Uh, that would sustain the, the entire nation's population for that amount of time. And now I've seen that erode during my lifetime to the point where now they're actually paying farmers to burn their food, not to plant things in the first place. So it kind of makes me suspect that even though uh, I'm convinced also that they know exactly what's going on, why on, the, on earth would they actually pile on uh, the food shortage and, and make sure there's none around? Of course, we know the answer to that. So Barrett, one thing, going back to the land patent thing with the farmers, and I know most aren't going to catch on to this, but if we could just have three, four, 5% understand what the power of the land patent is, and that's never been um, overturned uh, in, in a court of law, uh, and actually would give you the ability not even to get out of debt and do all these things, and then embracing technologies to allow you to go straight to consumer, CSAs, things like this, there are a lot of viable options for those farmers who choose to stop watching Netflix and wake up. And the, the cool thing is, I think a lot of farmers are, um, and I do agree there's going to be a ton of collateral damage, but there are solutions that are at play here uh, to go to war, uh, really, with the centralized forces. And that's really what we're, we're looking at, right? The problem of centralization, the problem of social mm -hmm. socialism, the problem of government, we really need to embrace, as Pedro in the chat here, voluntarism, which we're massive supporters of this concept. And um, but yeah, um, it's going to be a wild ride, guys, for sure. And David, you you asked the question, how are they going to get these uh, farmers and rural people off their land? Well, here in California, they're getting burnt out, purposely set fires. Tens of thousands of people over the last several years have been misplaced or displaced from their homes and their farms and so forth. We have the standoffs, uh, you know, up here in San Southern Oregon, where the and and also the Bundy Ranch, you know, down in um, Nevada. There, they were um, uh, victimized by the fact that local politicians or senators, uh, what's his name, Reed, you know, in Nevada, and I forget the name of the guy up here in Oregon, but they're doing business with China and they've already sold the mineral rights, you know, for the land under, you know, from underneath the farm. So they uh, figure out trumped up ways to, you know, uh, uh, you know, bring legal charges or something, uh, you know, put them in jail or accuse them of being terrorists and everything. But if you have a land patent, you also own the mineral rights, the water rights, and you have no, um, you have not created a surety status for your land against the national debt, which is what property taxes and everything are all about. So you got to lose that warranty deed. Yeah, and what type of uh, attorney could help you do that? I mean, how many regular attorneys that you know in your town are versed on such? Zero, zero. Yep. On the other hand, I would advise anybody to watch our three-part podcast on that where we had a gentleman who actually, you know, uh, went to law school, but he's in the mining industry. He's done this for years. 
uh, just a, a brilliant uh, gentleman who has done hundreds of these things. And it's not that uh, whether or not they work, it's the way uh, the land distribution was originally established in this country. We're just reverting back to it before the middlemen came in and, and again, tried to, you know, uh, get us to unwittingly agree to be sureties and pledge everything we have, including our land against the national debt that they're creating in the first place. So, yeah. I mean, we yeah, must remember we have, a lawyer. <laughs> we have unalienable rights that all living consciousness has throughout the entire universe. That's what the forefathers had put in the Bill of Rights in the Constitution. It supersedes all legal jurisdiction created by any government edifice, any court, it's natural law. So that's what sovereignty is. Understanding that you got to do your own homework. You don't, you know, it's, we got to stop looking towards these officialdom of trying to help us out. And that's what most people aren't going to get. And that is worrisome. We're going to have massive issues with that. Um, also, and the I other- don't have any, sorry, go ahead. Mike. No, no, go ahead, Bear. I was just going to say, I don't have any delusions that they're going to obey their own laws or the Constitution all the time and that they'll just come kill you anyway, no matter what you sure. do. Uh, you know, I've seen that happen, too. But on the other hand, there are um, there are solutions and a lot of us have exercised them. And so far they work. And what the, we've discovered in our processes is that government goes after the lowest hanging fruit. Uh, the people that are less educated, more vulnerable, and most afraid. And, you know, um, maybe uh, our time will come too, but I don't really live with any concerns of that. Well, and, and also what they're doing to uh, really get people off the land, what did, Gover what did Newsom, Gruesome Newsom just do, we were talking about earlier this week, they are outlawing small motors uh, in California, 20, uh, January 1st, 2024, you will not be able to use small gas motors off the road. So that means lawnmowers, that means uh, uh, chainsaws, uh, generators, things that every person in the rural, I mean, anywhere, even small, middle, uh, lower middle class, uh, lower income folks, gardeners in the city. I mean, people, they're, they, they're pushing this whole electric thing, which is more damaging to the environment than fossil fuels, if you really do the research. So that's interesting, David. I don't know if you saw that little piece of legislation come about this week. Unbelievable. I did. And that would include water pumps and uh, firefighting gear, too, because a lot of that's pulling some heavy volume out of a water source to spray it to another source. I mean, what are they going to do? Say, well, yeah. you can't even put out your own fire because now you're under arrest or got charged with a felony because you started up a, a gasoline powered water pump to put the fire out in your house because the fire services aren't working because they're all defunded and nobody's going to work anymore. But you can't still put out your own fire. You're under arrest. Now, oh, by the way, we're going to confiscate your land. They're going to write some little rider under there. If you're caught using a, a you know, because it would be like a drug act where if you're caught manufacturing whatever, they'll confiscate the land. Same thing. Well, if you're caught using a gas powered motor, we're going to confiscate the land too. They're going to put all these riders and clauses inside there. On top of what there is out in the public that I, be, I bet there's something buried down on page 700 in that law that says, by the way, if you're caught using this device, we're going to confiscate your property. And speaking of that, you know, on a positive note, I found an Indian marker tree on my property out here. It, it went up the old highway and it was an old uh, Cherokee trail. Now, the first times I ever saw it, I was like, wow, that tree is really interesting the way it's bent over like that. Never seen a tree like that. Why did I get wonder if I hit, fell in a storm and just try to grow back up straight again? But come to find out, you know, looking at this tree and I just stumbled into an Indian marker tree video one day 
and boom, the light bulb came on. Oh my gosh. Okay. And then I started to do a little research and where the market tree is, where the old logging road is, that's on my property was part of the old highway back in the 1910s and twenties, which was a repurposed uh, Cherokee trading trail. Cause it saves you about a full mile going down to the bottom of the Valley and then coming back up the road here. Plus it's up because it floods down there. Sometimes at the bottom, it's a little bit low. So yeah, it was an old Cherokee trail and you know, what, what, what kind of markers are there from our past to still show you water sources and ways to, you know, move faster through your environment. And we got to start learning from the past to get through the future because the collapses seem to be real planned at this moment. I mean, it's very apparent that this is a planned collapse. Nothing's organic. The cycles are known. So they're trying to do the damage control, but the collapse is on purpose to try to ride through and set up another structure on the other way out. But what can we learn from the past to go do a huge U-turn around all their plans that are trying to enslave most people? But again, very few are even aware of what's going on in terms of the surface level of control, let alone understanding solar cycles and riding on top of natural cycles to achieve agendas for you know, the reset of an economy. You just lose them in deer in the headlights there. And you're talking a very, very, very small percent, small percent. But again, you know, you look back uh, at, you know, 1770s, it only took, what's that, three or 4% of the population to join in to be able to achieve a goal there. So it doesn't require like even 50% of the people. It requires a very small amount to achieve a very large victory. And again, that can be explained uh, with physics because, uh, you know, it's just the power we have to generate those uh, progenitors of all manifestations. I hear the jets coming by. That's a C, no, that's a C-130 coming in doing super low maneuvers at 500 feet through the valley here. I, mm. They're below our mountain top line here. And recently, I must say recently, they're coming through blazing here at 500 feet doing intermountain uh, low altitude runs. And it's just started probably in the last two months. And they're, they're C-130s, full you know, prop plane. They're not jet engine, they're prop. But uh, yeah, they, and, the, and it, usually they'll come blazing through in the evening so you can't get photos of them. And if they see a fire out in our front field, if we're burning, they'll, they'll head off in a different direction. So I'm, I'm glad you could pick that up on film. That's how close they're coming right over the, the tops of the homes and the farms here in the valley. So something's a little upticked in the last, say, like two to three months. And they say it's an air station down over the way. And I, there is an air station down there, but it's many miles from here. But they're doing low altitude runs through the valleys. So what does that tell you they're preparing for? I am curious. We've noticed uh, that occasionally up here where there's obvious military aircraft doing maneuvers or whatever overhead. And, you know, we're out in the middle of nowhere here. And uh, it, it happens more routinely now for sure. So what mountains are around you where you're at there? Uh, Smoky Mountains, Cherokee National Forest, uh, uh -huh. those sort of mountains here. But we're... If you come out of the, Cher uh, the Cherokee National Forest and then you, you hit some flat areas and then you, you get into a secondary smaller mountain range, 1,000, 1,500 feet, and then it kind of tapers off over onto a plateau. So we're in that 1,000, 1,500 foot mountain range area here in the valleys. Mm -hmm. Right so on 900, 900 to 1,000 feet in elevation. Plenty of water in the area because that's that's the most key thing. You know, people are saying, "Well, what should I look for when I relocate?" And I always say, "Water." 
Well, yeah, on the property, we have three streams that flow when it rains, but then down at the mm-hmm. pond at the front of us over here, there's different aquifers that are coming out of the pond. And unbeknownst to me, A, where we're here now was an old Cherokee village back in the 16, 15, 1700s. It's even on some of the old maps. But then the uh, guys during the Civil War used to camp right here at this pond. Because the thing about it, since it was spring fed, anything that was thrown in there would go down the stream and end up in the river a couple miles from here. So mm-hmm. if you're looking at stationing troops, you know, like there's all kind of waste and things that'll be tossed out. They had a, a, a full working toilet from nature, which would pull out of this big pond and continuously replenish it with fresh water and then send the, the, the waste downstream. And again, I could see why uh, indigenous would choose this here as an, a location they have a lookout point in a couple areas. And again, a spotter, like where are you going to be? Uh, we have an area up here where we can see almost 360 degrees, but you can see all the roads coming in over here. you got three roads and different variety of areas where you can see all of them from the top up there. So it only take one person to be up there with a radio to be able to say, hey, there's coming, somebody coming in here, here, here. And mm-hmm. a water source, security, your ability to grow food in winters that aren't that brutally cold that you could for a couple, two, three months, still run some heat in there and communities, like-minded people. You wouldn't want to drop yourself in the middle of LA because the people, forget about the city itself, but just the mind frame of people is not there. You know, out here in East Tennessee, it's still, you know, Bible Belt, God-fearing people, a lot of common sense, uh, hardworking people. It's just, there's still a rule of law here based on what people will accept or not accept. If you're doing something nasty out here, they're not even going to wait for the police to come out. They're going to take the law into their own hands and stop you from doing that. You know, the stuff that can get be gotten away with in a city, you're not leaving this place here. If you're going to try to do some of those things out here, the people just won't have it. They certainly will. It's about their family safety, the safety of the community and what's truly accepted as morally correct. Like that's still strong here, super strong. And those are the kind of areas you want to be in where there's still a moral compass that people abide by, where they will help each other based on what's going on, where they're not going, oh, I don't want to, you know, that somebody will actually stand up with a neighbor and say, whoa, 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 whoa that, that's got to stop, you know, especially with kids and things like, yeah. So what would you look for? The land itself, but then the people around your land is a whole different other thing to, you know, to add into the mix. So you can find one perfect thing with the land, but you might be in a completely dire opposite of how people think. So you're looking for a combination of all of it, I think. And it all goes back to connecting with people that still have the connection to the land. And unfortunately, um, urbanized people have lost that. They've lost their common sense, a lot of them, not everybody. And they've actually been weaponized against the rest of us. So agreed. You know, I believe in places like Los Angeles, they'll probably be eating themselves within 10 days, you know, Uh, just like in Venezuela, which was a beta test for what's coming here. uh, You know, cannibalism was running rampant just after a couple of weeks. No. Yeah. You don't want to. Oh, absolutely. They're selling human meat on the open market. What? I never heard about that. Yeah, during the height of their, you know, their chaos when it was peaking, that's what was happening. And uh, historically, that, you know, is not uh, an isolated event. You know, that is that is pretty common. But going back just to finish up the comments about a small majority of people or a small number of people necessary to make the change. And I was just remarking that, um, you know, 
when you get into the physics of that, you can actually, um, you know, explain how, you know, that old saying when two or more are gathered in my name, well, that's, you know, what the suggestion was. And when you have groups of people all, you know, uh, looking through a singular lens, uh, the powers of manif manifestation just um, increase exponentially. And uh, the other thing is, is when you are aligned with natural law, natural law is not words on a piece of paper, it's an actual phenomena. Now you have the entire universe that you're drafting. And, uh, you know, then that makes what you're doing even more powerful. So natural law does trump everything. Mother nature does bat last. And I believe that some of us who are taking our responsibility to be uh, stewards of this land, you know, are um, you know, going to be better off than most because we have all those factors going for us. Nothing more special than waking up and going up when it's foggy in the morning and just sitting there, knowing that you're not in a park, that nobody's going to come walking up and disturb your silence and just, you know, visualize what you want to do with this piece over here. I want to trim this. We got to get the blackberry patch better over there. I want to clear out down to the creek so it's just grass there for easier access you know you can kind of use your imagination to sculpt the land as you sit there because yeah i believe the same thing i don't own this land i purchased it to take care of it for the next generation and and then and then and then so i look at it as the visitors in the natural sense on the land whether they be bipedal or, or four-legged whatever they are they're welcome here and i will take care and make sure that uh only we hunt out here in a, in a sustainable manner where, you know, might take a deer per season or something, but not outrageously stripping the forests and, and trying to live in harmony with it. Even uh, the muscadine vines that were growing here, when we were, you know, clearing a portion of uh, one of the tree lines, I really went out of my way to save the muscadines that were growing wild where they were. And we tried to put them up on trellises to get them to grow, but the berries or the grapes didn't uh, really manifest that much this year. Yeah, sure. They still had leaves and it still ran down the wire and everything, but they didn't produce the grapes like they did when they were in a natural state way higher up in the trees. But to try to bring something out on the wild side and then sculpt it into a, you know, more uh, what we're used to, you know, in a fashion uh, on a wine vine in a, in a farm somewhere didn't work so well. But, you know, you got to experiment to learn what's going to work and what's not. Blueberries did great. All the wild blueberries around the property. Uh, trimmed them up last year, did a bunch of fertilizing and all these things. And they, you know, they take that year off after you prune them, but next year they should be producing an enormous amount of blueberries. So, you know, when I find something wild in the forest and it's already chose to grow there and there's seven or eight wild blueberry plants around there, trees, I'll, I'll sculpt around that and give them even more space to expand more sunlight and then, you know, do the proper fertilization for them. But the muscadines really didn't work that well this year for some reason, but you know, it was my first try to bring a wild wine vine out and put it on a trellis. It takes a while to really learn a piece of land. Uh, you know, we've been on this present farm for a good number of years now. And every year we learn new things, every little uh, space on the property, you know, uh, one acre over here, it has entirely different attributes. So, you know, just uh, for folks that, you know, are planning on maybe moving to the country and growing their own food, um, you know, there's a lot to it. There's really a lot to it. And um, it's, it's a learning process. And also, uh, more than anything, it's an internal process for yourself. It's just as far as reconnecting, learning how to listen, and, um, you know, to actually 
pull off to the extent where you can feed yourself. It's, you know, it's quite a feat actually, but it is doable if you stick with it. So David, you've been uh, very generous with your time here today. Um, any parting words or subjects you'd like to bring up? You're such a wealth of information. You know, I don't feel like we've actually heard a lot of what you have to offer, but uh, anything you'd like to finalize our talk with today? Yeah, and asking a question, uh, you know, when we're going through this transition here in the next, you know, it's going to be fast. It's going to happen rapidly before 2024. Second magnetic field forming is going to have a huge reaction and effect on human perception to the point where everybody on the planet is going to literally wake up and see through all of this programming. I don't know if they'll see the actual code going through the, through the, the, the unified field here. Like to that point, they're going to see it. So governments are going to have to respond in earnest. So, you know, what kind of population decline do you think that is going to happen here in the next 12 to 18 months based on food shortages and the purposeful shutdown of supply chains and the purposeful shutdown of food production to get people maybe so afraid and so fear-based that they won't actually awaken because they're so terrified, A, with the jabbity-jab-jab stuff rolling around there. Uh, they're, they're being, and then at the second time, being really stuck in such a paralyzing fear state that they won't see what's literally in front of them that's deconstructed. You have a better glimpse of that. I'm just curious what you might think. Well, I think the, uh, the current medical procedure that's being crammed on everybody's throats is a big factor that's going to go in the favor of the controllers because it will reduce the population. Absolutely. I'm convinced of that. There's no way it can't happen. Also, when uh, you choose to modify your genetic material so that those little antennas we call DNA are no longer capable of uh, you know, reaching larger perceptive bandwidths, um, you know, they will just be frozen, you know, uh, you know, during the headlights phenomena, and they won't know what to do because they can't think anymore. And I believe, um, you know, not just a simple population reduction agenda, but also to dampen down the consciousness so that people are easier to control in the meantime. So you throw that into the mix of everything that you're talking about. And it's, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of people leaving the planet. I have you, no doubt. You do got to wonder if the delusional psychopaths are really hurting their own chances of centralized control, talking about all these IRS agents being hired, having to get the jabba jabba doodad and then falling ill. Uh, how's that going to work out? You know, so we also see fall and rise of empire and we could be potentially watching that as we speak right now, too. Yeah, Mike, one thing on the crypto, you know, proof of time is going to be, you know, uh, proof of work was the old, you know, and now we're coming into proof of time as a new mm -hmm. protocol concept here for uh, transaction and verification. So how do you see the crypto space moving forward from here? Proof of time is it that that's the only thing that's really going to make sense, because right now with the it's, you know, it's supposed to be so decentralized, but it's really centralized back to the control of the miners. And the mining pools are gargantuan and multi-billion dollar mining operations in themselves that are listed on the stock markets in some of these countries because they have so much vast capital and they have, you know, acres and acres and acres of rigs out there as one single entity. I can't see that being anything decentralized. We're bringing it back down in where everybody's computer across a full integrated network is, you know, chipping away at that and versus one, uh, you know, mining operation that solves the algorithm that, that then gets... Uh, gets a reward for that. 
know, it's coming in proof of time seems to be much, it's going to have to change too, because this whole crypto space, we've already, you know, when the China closed down and said, hey, it's illegal. And then all the computing uh, power went offline over there and the little full market crash. That can't continue to happen either if they're trying to bring this up into uh, part, at least part of the new monetary system, in addition to a basket of currencies, gold, et cetera. And the carbon credit market, which we didn't talk about too much, but this whole carbon trading thing, you know, once your card goes to zero, uh, you're, they're not going to be able to, uh, Randy, I'll call you back. They're not going to be able to, you know, having a forest, you know, you're creating your own carbon credits, but, you know, at that point, what? So the, you got these three different asset classes rising to create the new economic system, carbon uh, credit, carbon market, if you, for a better word, the crypto, and then the actual physical asset of some sort of basket of currency and gold. So where do you see the crypto going and as part of this whole reset agenda, reset economic system? Well, I mean, I think it's very obvious that crypto, that the whole entire kind of scene of crypto has been massively co-opted by corporations. I think 99% of cryptocurrencies are run by a centralized corporation with the CEO, COO, et cetera. We have to get past that. The original intention of Satoshi Nakamoto was to, was to go P2P on transactions like you would originally with gold or silver. And of course, that's been all controlled and manipulated by large banking entities, including Bitcoin itself, which when they did the fork to Bitcoin core and uh, in, in getting off the original intention because of scaling issues, we saw that they went into SegWit and Lightning Networks. And of course, as, you're, as you so profoundly mentioned, the way that the um, mining systems have become basically monopolies. Um, and what's interesting too, uh, David, with um, as we come, we're coming into issues as we see with Europe right now and, and the UK with massive issues with natural gas and with the ability to generate power because of the green initiatives, which we know are another controlling mechanism. Um, how is that going to play into proof of work? Uh, and also, what if we do have some re revolution in terms of more free energy on the flip positive side? How would a proof of work model work if all of a sudden everybody's playing from the same field? So, yes, uh, proof of time is everything. And that's what Cordal is all based around. And it really makes a lot more sense. It's a much more Aquarian in that sense, too. Uh, the metaphysics make a lot more sense. So I, I do believe that's where we need to be going. And that's what our platform is based upon. Uh, but in terms of where mainstream crypto is, I think it's um, it's a behemoth in the same way we're looking at mono agriculture. We're looking at all these other problems we've talked about today, which is very, very daunting. Uh, and it's it's it is scary to see where that's all going. And of course, with China, there will be a black market. There is um, uh, already with people on the black market still mining crypto. And of course, the big the big push right now in crypto to counter proof of work, which is what you're talking about with mining, is proof of stake. Ethereum's talking about well, they're already planning to go to proof of stake. All that is is fiat 2.0. It's the it's the same people who pre-mine the coin that own it that will have the most consensual power on the protocols. So we know that is already uh, dead in the dead in the you know in the water there. So uh, it is interesting to see that um, most of crypto is done in my book. Um, I don't and the centralized exchanges are all manipulated and controlled by bots and by the the, the key holders that are are running that. So we must get resilient. We must get sovereign with crypto, which is what Cordal's all about. I am a fan of Pirate Chain. 
Hey, we mm. even we even um, do direct P2P. Uh, so with Cordal, we have a decentralized exchange built into the project that's true decentralized exchange, which is P2P, no intermediary, no steward, no, no one controlling your keys ever on the transaction. Um, and that's going to be extremely important. But we even have cross-chain swaps going with Doge because while Doge is a, it was, is a silly, it was a meme coin, it was actually like Bitcoin originally decentralized, no pre-mine, even though it's a proof-of-work coin. We need to focus on those kind of projects for now. So, so support the projects that are truly as most decentralized as they can be. And then look into projects like Portal, like Pirate Chain, ones that are truly... Um, being run by a community that are open source, decentralized, no corporation behind it, not really focused on centralized exchanges. Uh, that's going to be really important because they are pushing for the unified uh, digital dollar. That'll be a inflationary mechanism using the Satoshis where essentially in your bank account, every second, as we talked about, I think on our first show with you, down the line of Satoshis, it's decreasing. It's decreasing in value. So you will not be able to save money, even worse than it is now with fiat, which we know is naturally massively inflationary. That is the plan. That's why they've destroyed crypto as best they can by using the corporate system, by using the, main, the, the Wall Street 2.0 ideology and forcing crypto down that path. But there are the underground fighting back. This, there is literally the Star Wars Jedi Knights that are working in the underground trying to uh, combat it. So um, it is fascinating to watch. And it's also very sad to see where crypto's ended up uh, where it is now. But I'm also, Bear and I are also big fans of hard currency, of gold, silver, even getting like copper, um, you know, uh, any kind of precious metals. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of junk silver, what, pre-1964 quarters and dimes. Um, uh, you're talking about the Amish earlier. I think that's going to be an extremely viable way to transact. And I think it's going to be more than just a few people using that in the future. I think it's going to be massive. So I'm a big silver bug too and gold, but big into silver, junk silver, um, uh, smaller issuances of that currency that you'll be more easily able to transact with, right? Um, so that's kind of where I'm standing right now with, uh, with the economics currency system. And I'm wondering who has satellite base station or be able to have satellite access to still be able to broadcast transactions if there's a grid down in the state or in the states or worldwide. But if you have a generator or some sort of solar uh, capability to still be able to have you sat linked to be able to broadcast that up there, you know, it doesn't really matter what's happening at this point. As long as you have that access point in and out, you can still you know, have yeah. value moving around the planet. So, so with Cordo, we've thought of all this. Um, we have, so the minting protocol, the way it works, you can literally run it on a Raspberry Pi with a small solar panel. Um, and it's because it's based on time. All you, you have to be connected to a network. We are developing a mesh networking protocol, working through micro communities, and that will connect with a, with a node, whether that be a quote unquote satellite or that be through hardline infrastructure that we recapture through purchasing that. Um, I, I am a big fan of the hardline because of the negative health effects of EMFs, right? Of wireless technology has a massive negative health effect on our bodies. Um, so if we can figure out that infrastructure and find ways through lawful remedy to recapture that, that infrastructure from the corporations or, or redo it ourselves or using, I think mesh networking is a really interesting solution for that. We're going to need to think outside the box here moving <laughs> yes. forward because it's going to get yanked. Like I'm, I'm, I've had it on good authority that 
the entire system is going to get frozen, reset, and then just continue to function day one after the par carpet's pulled to cause a crash. And then it's going to get frozen. And then all your access to everything is going to be offline for more than a month. So again, uh, if, if it extends past that, they're going to expect you to still operate in the real world where your house payment will still be expected on time, even though if you have no way to pay it, you know, could you write a paper check? Well, no way, your bank won't cash that check. So they're trying to make you operate in a frozen world while the whatever the money movers are resetting their new world. But then the penalties for non-payment on time are still going to apply to you, even though the, the money pushers have frozen the system so you can't pay on time. So this is another thing to think about moving forward here. Yeah. So just saying, just saying, I was just yeah, like, sky's a, blue. That's what I was told. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I'm a, I, as you can tell, I'm a pretty much a rabid uh, optimist though, in terms of uh, having belief in that we are moving towards this greater consciousness. I think it's, we, we should end on a high note here, Bear. Um, and we're seeing it through our community. People are just, the law of attraction is more than ever from what I'm seeing. People are just flocking to us with solutions, with positivity coming here from, and, and people, David, just by the way, recently waking up, like people literally yeah, think, thanks to what's happening with the uh, ridiculous pandemic, people have been shocked into uh, realizing, whoa, this is this world's not what I thought it was. And they're coming to people like us, to people like you, um, to find solutions and to uh, they're kind of in a, in a rapid learning curve right now. And we thank God we still have the Internet to learn from. So um, I'm I'm a positivist. I believe we're developing solutions rapidly. I, I do believe that we're going to come out of this OK. But I do agree also with Bear that we're going to those that do not wake up to what's going on are going to be paying a heavy toll. Uh, and maybe the um, the Marvel movies are predictive programming us with Thanos snapping and half the population are gone. Maybe there's a reason why they push those movies. So or the superhero movies, too, with superpowers, like everybody's going to have superpowers, you know, it can go that direction as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're we're seeing it now when I uh, uh, on our own bodies, when uh, we're playing around with radiesthesia and uh, biogeometry and uh, meditation and all the stuff we talk about on the show, uh, uh, jumping in ice baths. Right. So we are the greatest technology is right here. We got to remember that, right, Bear? The greatest technology is the us. So embrace it. We are full of solutions right inside our consciousness. Bam. Any, bear, party bam. <laughs> any, <laughs> any parting words for our audience, David, or Bear? Well, maybe I'll start with Bear, and then we'll end with David. And then, David, I want you to share all your beautiful links, your website, uh, everywhere so people know how to get a hold of you. Bear, last words from you. Well, supply chain, uh, what if we lived in a world where we understood the uh, progenitor of all manifestation and we could recreate the waveforms for every element, make hybrids of elements? We no longer had to mine uh, things out of the earth. We never uh, again have to transport goods around the planet. 
we can uh, create those waveforms to create these elements in a 3D printer kind of operation, set up assembly lines where you can make any part made out of anything you want, manufacture anything you want. And then when you're through with it, uh, reverse the process and, and uh, eliminate all the need for landfills and everything else. That technology, that understanding is here right now. And it's what we would in fact be doing right now if certain people, uh, you know, weren't pulling our chains this whole time. And uh, the only thing is, is that we're understanding now is we've allowed it. And now it's just time to, you know, not try to figure out how to survive in their system, but create a parallel system where they become obsolete. And I think some great minds have already suggested that. But we have all, again, all the solutions right now. And we're you know, wringing our hands because we're trying to figure out how to navigate our needs through their system, which has already failed. Uh, there's going to be, uh, again, an interim and a transition, and a lot of people will maybe choose not to do so well during that. But again, on a spiritual level, that's choice, and that's uh, the journey of the soul. Yeah, never give up hope either. You know, I know this is that it's a very special time we're in this, this occurrence that's happening now is a once in a 2000 year event at the minimum that we're looking at. Yeah. The 400 years sinks in there, but it seems like it's a much more powerful, heavy cycle coming this time. This gift was given to us and it's on a time clock. All traditions and religions talk about this time as being that focal point and transition point from one system to another. And for us also, growing into and understanding that part of something and we're all connected and it just takes a whole different level in this i wouldn't i hate to use the word golden age but it seems that all traditions are pointing to once we go through this period of time that when we do come out the other side of it when the event is finished that we're going to go through to deconstruct and then reconstruct that these power brokers and these darker energies are then thrown back to the dustbin of history for how many thousands of years before they can even begin to get a, a little scratch finger hold again back on our societies and minds and spirits. But one thing I would consider for everybody out there is know where your local farmers co-op is. Because as things go down across the supply chains, the farmers co-ops are going to be the last place that you'll be able to get seeds, fertilizers, tools, implements, and things that you would need to help you grow foods, as well as, you know, there's uh, notice boards there that you can uh, get. And then all the medicines that you need to think about, like the fish antibiotics, fish moxie, fish doxycycline, fish psyllin, which is fish ampicillin. These things are also out there for your farm animals. And if you do a little research on how to use some of these antibiotics, etc., you can find what you might need in the animal kingdom that might help you on the farm as well. A lot of things cross over pretty succinctly there. So make sure you get to your farmer's co-op and understand what that's all about. You don't actually have to be a farmer to go in there, but if you have a registered farm, and you're not, you don't have a registered farm, you're standing out the back for the fuel because they're given precedence right now for diesel, at least for farm owners here. And it will be the same with seeds in the future. So you're great to go in there now and buy things, but when pinch or push comes to shove in the next six months, eight months going into the planting season of 2022, if you don't have a registered farm, you're probably not going to get the seed 
and you're going to be buying in 50 pound bags anyway. And then again, you know, if you're buying 50 pound bag of wheat berries, you can use that for many different things, including creating, growing it in trays for your chickens to eat. And there's just a whole cycle of things that you can do that you can find in bulk because you can buy a 50 pound bulk bag of whatever types of wheat that you're looking for for around 15, $16, even less at, during the certain times of the year, $13. But if you go into a supermarket, a little five pound bag of wheat berries is going to cost you $15. So just think about that in a, in a way to supplement yourself, get seeds and then stay ahead of the crowd on that too. Cause you can turn that wheat, you can, you know, come with a grinder and then turn it into flour. So I'll leave it with that. There's so many solutions and it is a great time for us to take our world back. It's time to take our world back. Enough of this silliness with the dark energies out there. We're coming into an enlightened period. Take our lives back, our worlds back, and our civilization back. I'll leave it there. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, David. Thanks, David. You're always a wonderful to talk to. And um, did you? What's the best place for people to find you that are just discovering you? Well, watch quickly because at the end of the month here, YouTube is going to demonetize all channels talking about climate change if you don't cateau 100% to the CO2 narrative and YouTube is disappearing history because another term of service, if you're not showing consistent warming, they will demonetize or remove the videos from your channel. So consistent warming for those of you out there only begins from probably 1850 to now. Anything prior to 1850 won't count. So YouTube for now, and I'm also on BitChute, Brighteon, Rumble, and Odyssey. Also Adapt 2030 on all of those. My website's still up and functioning, but I've been so busy trying to get prepared on the farm. I just haven't had time to really like keep populating the site. I only have so many hours during the day. And for me, getting prepared, like we're turning over the garden for the winter garden right now. I got to get back out until after we're done here, but I still need to do another video to load up so I can uh, get my contract finished for the month. So the social media and the website, yeah, there's some stuff there. I'm still trying to do the podcast but in the real world we're living in, you're making real choices about what you're going to do with your time. And me, I'm getting ready on my farm. So I'm putting less time into the social, knowing that the demonetization's out there. The hit piece from Vice was calling for Patreon to completely remove me and shut down a source of income from Patreon. And they were also calling on all social media platforms to deplatform me completely and remove my channel for disinformation because uh, I say the sun's changing the climate. And yes, man has polluted the crap out of this planet with particulates and plastics and heavy metals and runoff. And yes, we did a terrible service to the planet at that. But to put a tiny gas up there that's making all these changes, I just can't believe it. It could be a couple percent, but it's mainly sun driven. And you can see the ebbs and flows of empires through civilization and our timelines of history, at least in the last 12,000 years. And to talk about that suddenly puts me in a criminal category. So when Vice News comes out and writes an entire article about me making money on Patreon and that I should be deplatformed, you know that they don't like the information because there's too much truth in it. And then YouTube with their new standard platform, I've already been demonetized on two videos by human review, which is not supposed to be possible until November 1st, but it's already happened. Mm. So you can already see the writing on the wall here. Like, you know, when demonetization comes, if it's not something egregious, they'll say, hey, your video's been demonetized. Click here for human review. Well, somebody's stepped in front of me a couple times already and just flagged the video as non-monetizable. And I loved it that the one video I did was about Arctic sea ice 
um, Antarctic sea ice anomalies in Greenland growing uh, an, an enormous amount of ice that's unexpected. Arctic ice, uh, the what's the 11th lowest this year. And that video was flagged by a human reviewer as showing graphic police violent content because I didn't, I, and there was no way for me to, to appeal it or anything, right? Meanwhile, so this is the there's kind of pushback I'm getting already. So watch it at Adapt2030. If I disappear over there off of YouTube, I'm, I'm going to start putting everything over on uh, BitChute, Brighteon, Rumble, and Odyssey. And I got the Telegram channel just started. So it's Adapt2030. So I'm trying to move it off my phone onto my desktop so I can start loading articles there. But you cool. can see that the, uh, yeah, the information that we're talking about and discuss today, they want to remove out of public domain. And that's not just me, all the channels like Christian over at Ice Age Farmer, he had to flee the country. Something happens. Wow. Oh, wow. I didn't he, know that. Yeah. I he, know. Fled the, he had to flee. He fled the country. So he had to leave everything behind to get out. So if you think these threats aren't real to stop the information flow that we are giving out here, these are the levels they're going to to stop this information flow. So what you're hearing here, for some reason, they do not want you to have a leg up on when the changes are coming with our timelines up to 2024 October with the first massive changes here in the beginning of next year. And they really want this information removed because it goes against the carbon narrative and the carbon trading, which will be $150 trillion, trillion. They're going to just replace the derivatives market with a carbon trading market and then force you to come in and buy the carbon credits if you want to buy anything that's made in a factory. So then they're going to take more of your income just to have your very basic life. If it came from any kind of vehicle delivered to a store, there's a carbon credit associated with that. You'll have to offset that, pay for it, and you get a certain number of free ones. But after that, you have to pay to play. It's like kind of going to Disneyland. I didn't get right to pass, then I needed to buy another ride. So this is what's happening. Uh, and and uh, yeah, so. Well, we need to get you on Cordal, Dave. Uh, David, I'd love to help you set up a node and just start minting and get your name, get Adapt2030 on the uh, the name. Because the way it works is you get your specific unique name on the chain and that's it. And that'll be your future domain name. So you want to grab that before someone else grabs it. And then that will become your decentralized web address that could never be taken down. Um, so I'd love to send you some info on that. Uh, and, uh, I know Craig from radiant creators, he had, uh, interviewed us back in the day when we were years yeah, ago. That so. was right after I said, Hey, Craig, you got to Cause these guys are on fire, man. You, yeah. This is the future. You got to go check these guys out and talk to them and you're sure you got you right <laughs> on there. And I'm super happy that, you're, that you've taken it to the next level and you're still cranking away and bringing out the great info. I mean, you know how difficult it is to try to get the presence in the social media and keep pushing it because all this pushback of great ideas this narrative is so deep and so controlled and there's so much power behind it in terms of media and technocracy and the corporate giants that control access literally to the web are all pushing back uh, against this information. And, you know, we're going up, we're, we're sailing straight upstream for so long. And, you know, now a tidal wave is another tidal wave released from the dam. Stop these guys for their information. You know how it is. Yeah. Subs yeah. come and then whoosh, what happened to everything? Oh, nobody subscribed to my channel anymore. What happened? You know, and then oh, we got to tell everybody to come again. It's just ebb and flow, ebb and yeah. flow of complete interference in the message right now. Yeah. And that's why we got to help each other out. That's why Bear and I are all about collaborating. We don't care about competition with other channels or any of that nonsense. Dave, if you want to share this content on your channel, please, by all means, please do it. Love uh, to. I we, need a copy it, of it. I didn't record here. You know, I didn't 
record on this end. So I will uh, get that to you because we're all about the future is cooperation, collaboration, open source, everything. I really believe that. So thanks again, David. Uh, such a pleasure talking to you. And maybe we could get you to come to our Festival of Music and Sky uh, next early summer to talk. Uh, that's an in-person festival. Uh, it's all about solutions. Man, we'd be honored to have you there. So uh, let's keep uh, connected. And thanks so much, guys, for joining us. We had a lively chat in uh, <laughs> uh, during this time i love you guys in there uh thanks again everybody um go follow david support him join his telegram because that's one place as of right now that isn't so much being censored or taken down um it's great you're doing that david and uh get outside once again we always end it get outside get your feet in the ground go plant something mother nature is our best teacher uh she will really show you the way love you guys and we will see you Next week with, uh, who do we have next week? Veda Austin to go deep into structured water. And mm. um, it's going to be a really good show. So uh, love you guys. See you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.